Welcome to Oregon Rooted. I'm Higher Peaks. And this is Lady Sativa. You're listening to The Dirt Show. Where we bring you Oregon's cannabis culture. the dirt show i'm higher peaks and this is lady sativa and i wanted to start this episode out just by saying thanks to a couple people uh we don't say thanks very often do we no not really <laughs> no but we have some just a hand distracted yeah and we do have a handful of listeners that um have followed us since the beginning pretty much and you know that are active on our profiles mm-hmm. so i just want to shout out to jonathan clark he's been active mostly over everybody else uh, on our Facebook. So we appreciate it, buddy. And I just wanted to say thanks. Uh, he also tried to buy a shirt the other day. Oh, yeah. That was the one that tried to buy a shirt. And we uh, had to get some kinks figured out. Yeah. Well, what was funny is we've been working on the store. And I'm working on it still. And you'll notice that there's a tab out now. Mm-hmm. And it, <laughs> it says shop. And you can go there. Uh, and and it's it's open. But it, so for some reason, it, it posted on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And it decided so, to do what it wanted to do. <laughs> Jonathan, being the great guy he is, uh, and been you know listening and watching, I uh, decided you know you, you want an order shirt, which we appreciate that, buddy. Uh, <laughs> Good God, I can still hear. Him. So Jonathan had seen that we had, or that it had posted, mm-hmm. and which I didn't know about. And so being the great guy that he is, he, he was going to go order a shirt, which we appreciate. And it was just aired out. <laughs> and so it was a cart issue, and it's it's since fixed. We only have one product up. And really, you can only order white or, gr- no, excuse me, gray or really I guess white because of the arm organ mm-hmm. rooted on the arm, but you can check it out. And if you want to order one of those colors, that'd be great. One of the two, we do have black and blue up, but I, f- I didn't even think, you know, he can't see the black letter. Yeah. So anyway, you know, live and loves. Oh live man. And let learn. So anyway, we're working on it. I'm going to keep adding stuff. You know, Lady Sativa is going to be designing some stuff, I'm sure, and adding yes. some stuff. And it's oh, just yeah. our, our it's our opening way of getting support from you guys. So we appreciate it. If you like our gear and you purchase it, it just goes back into the podcast so we can grow. Yep. And we're going to do it other ways. We're going to try Patreon and stuff, but that's something we're working on. Closed loop. Baby. Yeah, closed loop. And we just want to put it back in the podcast, bring more content more often on a regular basis is what we're trying to do and you know be able to bring higher quality content as well so that's what that's for thanks jonathan we appreciate you listening and also trying that purchase you know like i said you can order the two colors now but we'd also like to do something maybe special too so mm-hmm. we'll be in touch on that also want to shout out to mark from maine you remember mark mark's talked to us quite a bit mm-hmm. over <laughs> over facebook and <clears throat> um also over ig now he's growing four plants i believe they look really good so yeah 
but he's still, still after all this time. I know he stuck hanging, with us even still after hanging in there. Hiccup. So <laughs> shout out to you, man. And then of course, Donnie Mendoza, organs only beast coast. He, he was on the interview, but mm-hmm. he's been a long time listener too. Yep. So I don't know if he's just so damn bored driving his van around. Speaking of Donnie, we had somebody <laughs> that came in that knew you, uh, actually asked us if we knew who you were. And uh, we had to confirm that, yes, we have an interview out that maybe he should listen to. He works for Evio Labs. His name is, what was it? Ron from Evio. Oh, yeah. 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 He came into the store and he he introduced himself. And then he asked if I know who Donnie Mendoza was. I'm like, in fact... We have an interview out with him and gave him our card so he could give you a listen. So, uh, shout out to you. Um, and, and he brought some cool. We, we got to bullshit pretty good. And then Kevin Hughes, he's been listening to us too. Shout out to Kevin. Uh, he's been on and off, but he's been around for quite a while. So, yeah. shout out to him too. All right. So, let's move on. Uh, oh, I, I want to shout out to Glass Maze. Hell yeah. So, at Glass Maze on IG, he is an organ glass artist. Yes. Is that what they call him? What do they call him? Besides glass blower. Um I don't I don't know. Glass artist. Yeah. That glass I don't know what the real know. nice term is because these guys are next level. I mean this it's like a etched you can see it on our IG, Oregon Rooted's IG. Uh it's a hand et well, a hand etched, I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's an etched glass uh with a Viking compass, a Norse compass. Norse compass. And it's got the, basically the explanation or the short story of the North, the Norse compass, which Mm -hmm. is if you wear it, um, basically the wearer of the pendant is, will always know the way and is always protected. Yes. Even if you know, will always find your way, even if you don't know the way. Yes. All right. So that's pretty cool. I appreciate that. So I have a biking background and so that was so sweet. And thank you. On the bale is our organ rooted, organ rooted symbol. And yes, on the bale it does have our logo, which is the first thing that we've had that has our logo on it. Mm-hmm. Even over t-shirts or any of that, hats or anything, which we should have had a long time ago. But uh, that'll be the first thing that has our logo, and which is glass, glass pendy, cannabis culture, organ artist. I mean, that's yeah. awesome. Hell yeah, local organ artist right local for our area but just this guy is legit uh check out his ig because this stuff is high end like you know hundreds of dollars thousands of dollars like these things are and uh but you can see the craftsmanship in there yeah oh yeah so and you know definitely puts a passion into it like his work is amazing and me and you talked about it being able to put our logo on a pendant Mm -hmm. and we couldn't really come up with something that we really liked Mm-hmm. after throwing some ideas and then this was perfect <laughs> absolutely perfect but we didn't even talk about etching so nope anyway check it out on the ig well, if you want I, to honestly i had it in mind the whole time but <laughs> you know so thanks glass mace thanks <laughs> highly sativa that is awesome prize possession so real quick before we go into the cbd our grow it's doing good Oh, yeah. She got a clean up back there today, so she got a real good... Spent a lot of time out in the backyard this weekend. Got everything looking a lot better, a lot more under control. But the plants themselves are doing really good. Dark green, you know, just everything came together this year. We have great nutrients going with the Growth Science Organics. Although, (laughs) every... (laughs) 
Lady Sativa does not like the smell of rotten fish. Hold on. Let me explain But this. she does, wait, but she does like the smell of cured fine cannabis. I don't like the smell of <laughs> pond scum. So when water sits there for a long time with stuff in it and it gets nasty, I don't like that smell. I did not mind the freaking nutrients. Oh, and then just the straight fish smell on your glove that you had. That shit was nasty. Anyway, kudos to gross kudos to gross science for such a quality product. Woo. Actually their kelp is killing it. Our plants are so dark green and healthy. I mean, and we've had serious freaking bug issues. Oh yeah. And they still look freaking phenomenal. We've been and through the still leaf, fucking working on coming in. Leaf, we've been through the leaf miners. We've been through the freaking caterpillars that wait for us to go on vacation. Uh, we happy Mother's Day. We've been, we've been through you know just whatever, um, and they're just blowing up beautiful. Mm-hmm. Of course, we've been on top of this year too, though, like way on top of it. I've been looping them damn near every day. Yep. Which, you, get out you know, daily. if you actually, I, I recommend that you do that, that you loop your plants a lot. You get to know your plants better <laughs> intimately. Also, too, uh, you know, you get to see things that you normally wouldn't see, <laughs> that you may or may not want to see. Right. Uh, I was intentionally looping him for, because I was sexing him. We, we've been sexing him over time, but sometimes they don't like to show very quickly. And I had uh, noticed just a, a real small amount of mites and so we immediately immediately that night sprayed for him and you know now i'm looking at the plants again with the loop and you can just see the dead suckers on there Ew. not not that many but it was like oh man glad we're on top of it but it was just disgusting i, I man i gotta I just, say this block sucks when it comes to stuff like that last year every person that we knew that was growing had an issue with some sort of bugs or mites and it just moves through the neighborhood. So we, do, we don't have the advantage of having any kind of buffer zone between backyards, you know, backyards <laughs> fence lines. You know, our backyard is fairly large, but it's not, you know, a fence is not enough to keep any bad habits away from you, from whoever doesn't take care of anything in their yard. Well, and when it comes to around here, the air is really thick is a good way to explain it because of how much pollen and how much crap is flying around Stuff attaches easy to what flies around. Sure. Sure. And a lot of stuff is airborne. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and granted the leaf miners we brought in on the clone with the wedding cake. But, you know, again, actually, you know, for the people, if you ever get leaf miners, they leave these little trails on your leaves. They're just little light brown trails. They're just, they don't really hurt the plants so much. They will damage a lot of leaves. But Isn't that when we put it out front? Yeah. Yeah. Brought it in it. on the clone. Mm-hmm. Well, we brought it out, but it had been out front. Out. In yeah. Front okay. Of the let me be clear about that. Not we didn't bring it in because it is a clone. We brought it in, or I got it, and it just is a clone. So it came in on the clone. Yeah, it came in <laughs> to our seedlings, basically. Yes. I put it out early to get some sun and, and it to harden off. Whatever. And fucking... yeah, you got to be careful. You know, the bugs are hanging out early in the year. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd think, well, because it's chilly or cold still and getting down near freezing at night that nothing's going to be out. It'll bullshit. Right. Um, you know, things are waiting, just waiting for some hometown buffet. <laughs> so, um, 
but yeah, you know, I don't think it's regionally there's going to be pests, but I think you can localize that right down to your little area. And sometimes when you get a pest, like you'd pointed out, it just, it lingers. Mm-hmm. You know, you get russet mites in a, in a couple acre area and you get a decent infestation and it seems like they just hang around. Yep. Okay. So with that said, I mean, we're doing real well. Got the fungus, the the rust. That's a fungus bite. I don't know if we talked much about that, but we did get the rust. Never had that before. I'm wondering if, you know, you'll see as you grow over the years, if you stick with it, that different plants will react to different pests. Some will be resistant, some won't. We had the GSC that liked to collect PM like it was, you know, going out of style. She wanted, I mean, she just had PM. To, to begin with, to end with. It's like a yeast infection. She had a bad yeast infection. <laughs> she had a really bad yeast infection that did not go away. So we had to put her down. Didn't we she put her down that year? Backwash. That was like two years ago. Vaginal backwash. <laughs> thank so, you, TMZ. Uh, <laughs> thank you, TMZ. Yeah. Well, one of you crude ass men on TMZ <laughs> decided to call it vaginal backwash instead of vaginal discharge. <laughs> That has got to be the most unprofessional term. Oh, that was so bad. I'd smack him. Okay. Anyways. That, that goes on the list of all-time favorites, though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so back to the fact that our GSC had, had a yeast, yeast infection. infection. <laughs> I'm going to start calling PM that. That's great. Yeah. I am, too. Uh, so. Oh, that plant has a yeast infection. <laughs> Ew. Oh, my God. Okay, so, but I guess I lost what I was saying. Um, (laughs) Plants have different things that affect them. And I think that the three strains, or not the three strains, but the plants that did get them were of one strain, and it got rust. And that rust spread just on that one strain. Now, call me crazy. It could be coincidence. Maybe it's not just that strain. But oddly enough, my feeling is, is that that strain is... Unfortunately, um, what do you call it? Uh, just susceptible to rust. Well, actually, kind of anything because it didn't. Those plants basically get. That's where I a found a handful of mites of on them. Freaking everything on those plants alone, and everything yeah. else looks amazing. But yeah. those plants that are all the stra- the same strain are having issues. Right. So I mean, watch out for that when you're growing different strains. Some are going to get things. I think where others won't some will be resistant to things that others aren't uh even from growing from seed mm-hmm. and so although i still firmly believe and still firmly see a lot that seed is still stronger than than clones right but like i said we are having our healthiest plants this year and i i attribute that to the growth science and the dirt man that good earth organics gaia mix legit never go back again um We've had zero bugs come from the dirt, which I'll tell you, when you buy cheap dirt, that's what you're going to happen. Yeah. First of all, you're not going to have anything inside the dirt that's going to do any good for you. It's going to hold the plant up. Right. That's good. That's it. <laughs> and you're going to have a lot of bark in there and you're going to get bugs. It's yeah. just, you're going to get bugs in the dirt, from the dirt. Yeah. Something's And we've happen. had that happen several times. And then you get a really high end dirt. It's almost like you have two ways. You can, you can go less expensive on your soil. This is aside from living soil, by the way. Right. So if you have living soil, that's great. You're cycling that. It's just harder on smaller grows, especially indoor, to run living soil. But if you're replacing your soil every year, 
uh, or the, the starting and you're getting soil, uh, you can do two things. You can buy less expensive soil and put it all in your nutrients. Or, or you can get a really, really good soil that's going to benefit you in a lot of different ways and then not have to put all your money in, in the nutrients. You're putting right. it in the soil. Right. So we've had to go real light on our nutrients because we've had such good guy that guy of soil. Right. And it, plants respond to it better. You know, when you're throwing in conventional lines or salty lines, synthetic lines, uh, yeah, they respond to it quick, but they just don't seem to respond in such a lush green way. Like they look really good, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. They look pretty awesome. So, but you could, so, and even go cheaper or less expensive, you can go really good soil up front, which is expensive. Don't get me wrong, but this is an upfront, you know, front end thing. Put it all in dirt and then light nutrients or none because you can just top dress if you're careful. Outdoors in big pots, it's easy to top dress or directly in the ground, it's even easier to top dress. Mm-hmm. You don't run into some of the problems you would with pH issues inside, but that's even cheaper. Dry amendments, and I'd still do that. I'll run my, the, you, you know, just did some dry organ- amendments and I just, just lightly do dry amendments, and mm-hmm. that kind of gives you a what buffer was that, zone. Shark? Um- was that great white? Well, great white. That's the mycorrhizae. I use that for trans. Is, is that what you were using tonight, or? Well, I inoculated the the nutrient, the TMA today, but um, no, I was using it's a. Um, so it was a leftover bag of Elevation Organics that I had. That's what it is. And <laughs> yeah, I still have I still have some dry minutes left over, so I just been top dressing with those. It's and so somewhere. yeah. And it's working really good. So that's an option, which is really less expensive too. Mm-hmm. Net net, I like using my liquid newts and my dries as well. But he likes making me smell his liquid newts. You, well, <laughs> sounds like a dirty pickup line. <laughs> you want to smell my liquid newts, baby? Yeah. Well, there's nothing better than rotten fish and, and cow shit. Hubba hubba. <laughs> Yeah, but other than that, that's it. So this episode is about CBD, everything CBD, actually. We sit down with Jason Wilson, curious about cannabis, mm-hmm. is what he's doing. And Formerly known as Jason Wilson. No, cor- I'm kidding. <laughs> Jason has wrote a book, first edition, working on as a second edition. Yeah. And he's coming out, obviously has a website, explains all this. And it's a very Me educationally based podcast that he's going to be putting out, as well as uh, the um, material, the the written material that he's putting out is all educational based. Very smart gentleman, as you know. We sat down with him several times. Mm-hmm. I really want to get this out uh, to people. Uh, I know we've, like I said, we've really been sitting down with him quite a quite a bit. But I really want to bring this education. And this CBD has been a real big deal lately. In fact, we just had an article come out a couple, two, three days ago. It was the end of last week. It caused a bunch of controversy. In, in our cannabis world. Um, <laughs> yes, it did. It f- became a topic on Friday, too. Yeah. And what happened is Forbes put out an article that said, that basically said that there was new evidence, a new study that found that CBD can be toxic to the liver. And in usual mass media, um, you know, what you'd expect from them, they made it sound like that, you know, CBD was bad for you and it was toxic to your liver, period. 
with very little explanation. As some say, CBD will kill you. Yeah, and so in response to that, I put out, me and Jason both, well, Jason, okay, let me say this right. Jason put out through Curious About Cannabis the study that they're referring to and the details, which really explains it better in depth and it gives you a better understanding because like I said, it, it caused a bunch of CBD bashing. And although we need to be careful because we don't have a lot of studies yet, we need to be careful with how we approach using cannabis and CBDs and stuff. At the same time, I think just like any medicine, there's also going to be, you know, the difference between a medicine and a poison is dosage. Yes. Okay. And just because you can take in a shit ton of THC and not overdose or be bad does not mean that applies to anything else. And so we're seeing now that CBD does have a toxic level, which is really what that study says. And you can, again, you can go to our IG and check it out. There's studies right there. It's an ungodly amount that we could not be able to consume in a daily, t- you know, Every single day, we wouldn't have that availability. No. Well, of, we do, but well, we do, but but you'd have to be intentionally taking a s- superior amount. Ma- I mean, we're talking up to like a CBD th- isolate too that they were pertaining to in that. The study was with isolate. Okay, well, uh, isolate's also a lot different than mm-hmm. say CBD flower or CBD RSO or CBD tincture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, synergistically it's going to act different especially in your system and that was the other part of it is that yes with thc it's actually safer to have cbd in your system they're they're seeing anyway yeah. but bottom line is that if you take cbd in its peers purer forms in high high amounts over time it can be toxic and and like i said this is like 15 let me read it from i have it pulled up here and i just want to make sure people are clear again you can go to our ig to see it but basically uh you're talking 15 milligrams of cbd per kilogram of body body weight okay let's say so a person of 137 pounds that's 62 kilograms so times that by 15 milligrams and you come up with 930 milligrams of cbd that's where it starts to be toxic so you could have up to 15 15- is isolate yes and you could have up to up to 1500 milligrams on a 200 pound person so at a 200 pound person pretty average guy I guess, uh, 1500 milligrams every day. That's a lot. And then take that further. Say like me, I've hit up to 250 pounds. So that's even more. That's like 2000 milligrams a day before you're ever really into the toxic levels that take time to be toxic. So bottom line is just be aware that yes, it is toxic, but who the hell is going to be ta- are you anything stupid? is Don't toxic take at any level yes. though. Water can be, can kill Air. you. Air can kill you. Too much food can kill you. Anything can kill you at a certain level. So when it comes down to it, it's like, is it really toxic for you? Or are you guys just reaching for something to make it bad? Yeah. That's an isolate. Of course, isolate is worse than actual CBD. We don't really allow, you know, isolate to come through the store. We do not like isolate because that could be the poisoning. Maybe that's what's giving the freaking mouse liver disease is because of the poisoning of the isolate so when we're talking about everything cbd we talk about other things too like the fact that fda it's not regulated Mm -hmm. and it's just anything can be on the shelf and they literally buy it in any health food store you can buy oh i just saw that you could buy it at a uh, grow shop yeah we went to in and out today i can buy cbd gummies down at thrifty here at the middle market just know where it comes from because it is grown well, so this is the thing. So you don't probably want an isolate. 
I mean, all these things are talked about, so we'll let we'll let that interview yes, yes. handle that. But the bottom line is, be safe about it. I would recommend if a dispensary that you can uh, get to has CBD products, I would go through a dispensary. For one, they're going to be tested, and two, you're going to be able to talk to your bud tender and find out all the where details about from. where it comes from, who sourced it. You could even find out who it te- who it's tested by because it will say on the product. Yeah, and all these people that have to bring stuff through dispensaries have what they call COAs, and they're certificates of analysis, and that proves that this product is safe, this, this, that, this, that, and that's all on file. So those things are available uh, when you go through a dispensary. And but, I do got to say, if it is sold through a dispensary, jump on that because not many places do sell right, stuff like that because right. we don't even sell anything with zero CBD or with zero THC in it at all. There's not one tincture or RSO that has zero THC in it right now because the fact that we cannot, like no company is bringing no. it to us. None of them. None of them have brought us zero THC. None of them have brought us even hemp CBD because the fact that you have to be fully licensed just like every other person is on our shelf. Right. And there's some question about if it's as beneficial um, when it's separate from other cannabinoids and or THC. So, you know, again, everybody's on their own journey. Pick the safest, best journey for yourself. I would not recommend buying it from Minute Markets or anything like that. There is no, like I said, there's no standardized, there's no testing, none of that. Right. There's a better option. I would choose it. Um, until then, I would seek out products from a dispensary, even if they have THC in them. Get right. as low as THC and CBD yes. ratio that you can get, or not ratio, but amounts you can get, and, and stick to your ratios at that point until we know more. Um, you know, and like I said, this this interview goes into much more depth about all different angles about this. So this is really, if you want to know about CBD and all the best practices involved and how to stay safe. Jump onto our CBD train. Yeah. Um, definitely. Here, Here's a fact-based interview that will give you uh, some good information. Uh, we'll leave it at that. Here it is with uh, Curious About Cannabis and all about CBDs. All right, Jason, welcome back to the show, buddy. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm stoked to finally be back after all this time. Yeah, quite a few years that we, well, a couple years at least that we have uh, haven't been able to talk. We, You know, we put out that one episode uh, recently that we had talked with with Anthony. Yeah, yeah, I caught that. That was real fun <laughs> to uh, go back and listen to after all this time. That was some good information. I had to release it because of that. It was just good information that you guys brought back that time. Had a lot of good emails come in from that too as well. Oh, cool, good. So, Glad to hear that. Yeah, it was. It was cool. Um, but let's catch up with you. What's going on? What, what's What's been in Jason's world? Yeah, well, um, sort of like, like you for a while, I was on a little bit of a hiatus. Um, recently had a daughter, so that's been exciting. Um and has, congratulations thank you yeah, yeah so that's um sort of changed the way i've needed to spend my time and that sort of thing but um over the past year and a half or so um i've been doing work with um primarily hemp and cbd companies lately i'm still doing um science and education work but in a different vein than what i was doing before um last time we talked i was doing a a lot of work with cannabis testing. Um, and lately I've been trying to help companies that are trying to enter the, um, hemp and CBD spaces, um, with, um, product development, technology development, helping them get, um, quality systems built up. Um, GMP compliance is a really big deal now in terms of the farm bill passing and companies needing to get ready for, 
sort of this regulated CBD industry. So I'm helping um, some companies with that and um, trying to carve out bandwidth to do a lot more education again. Um, the last time we talked, you know, I was doing um, regular seminars and workshops and I hadn't been able to do that for a while. I've just been too busy, but now um, I'm trying to get all of that going again. Cause that's, you know, along with the science and research and quality management stuff, really education's my, one of my core passions. So trying to find ways to, to do that and um, get back out there in the community and have some critical conversations about cannabis and that was really good you were really active in that when you were over at uh, evio yeah and i i loved it it was um one of my favorite things is to bring people together and have these discussions um you know not just about cannabis but about health and wellness and um um you know biology ecology all these things and and try to come to some good understandings uh about these things and and to to talk critically especially about cannabis it, you know when there's so much um lore and and hype around the plant and and everything just trying to talk to knowledgeable folks and try to come up with good questions that's always one of my goals is even if we can't find good answers at least we can probably come up with some good questions um to try to chase for the future and and try to understand what people are interested in and how to connect people with good information and um, I just love doing all of that. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm working on um, the second edition of my book, Curious About Cannabis. I'm excited about that. Um, coming out of the testing world and being involved in um, the science side of the production space kind of has expanded um, some of my understanding of what uh, folks in the space are wrestling with um, and how... Um, like analytical testing affects uh, producers. I've got a much better understanding of that, which has been really interesting getting both sides of that now. Um, um, and uh, yeah, so I'm rewriting the book, trying to get the second edition out um, early next year and um, working on my own podcast as well. The curious about cannabis podcast. Um, That's that'll... really cool. I was really excited to hear about that because I think it's a great platform for what you're doing. Well, yeah, my, my hope, and I'm definitely going to get you on there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my hope is, that'll be a first. Yeah. I've <laughs> yeah. been on that get you side. On the of, other yeah, side. Yeah. yeah. You know, my hope is, uh, to create this platform, uh, to sit down with folks, to have these critical conversations, explore, um, different aspects, um, different perspectives around cannabis science, uh, cannabinoid science, uh, and that sort of thing. And, um, try to produce, um, if anyone out there has ever heard the podcast Science Versus, which is a podcast I like a lot, uh, it's a science education podcast, um, sort of for the broader public. Okay. Um, my podcast will be sort of similar in style to that, where each episode will be centered around a core question or idea about cannabis, and it'll bring in pieces of these conversations that I'm having um, to try to uh, work through those questions, and um, and then there'll sort of be a side stream of the full interviews. Uh, that people will be able to access as well. Um, so in a way, it's sort of two podcasts, um, the interviews, but then also the actual produced educational content. Um, and so it's very new for me. I'm nervous about it, you know, <laughs> being a host and having to put myself out there. Um, I'm sort of a, a shy, socially anxious person, socially anxious scientist. So um, uh, we'll see how it goes, but I'm trying to get over all that and just dive into the deep end and get some stuff out there. Uh, my goal is uh, fall of this year to have that pocket, at least the first season 
of that podcast ready and um we'll see what the feedback is and and go from there experience and expertise yeah well if any of our listeners um well they know for sure that uh, you know the the knowledge that you brought since the beginning has been you know really good and it's in depth and it's um how do i say this it's uh it's like next level information you know it's right on the edge of of what we're just you know kind of learning so that's really good appreciate you bringing that i'm definitely checking out that podcast yeah yeah so uh, (laughs) i'm I'm getting the website up now so it's technically technically live but you can go to cacpodcast.com and um, i'm hoping to get a preview episode up within the next few weeks wonderful give people a little taste of of um what it'll be like and um yeah hopefully put out um some little pieces of content from now till the fall to give people some things to chew on um, before it comes out great 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 well we're excited to hear that uh now what we wanted to talk and we'll talk about that at the end a little bit uh what we wanted to talk about today and i'm really curious to talk to you about is cbd and cbd and in today's climate today's market uh today's environment um like cannabis uh thc um it's taken off and it's kind of got several facets to it now yeah it's uh the cbd industry has become huge really huge um and a big part of that is uh the passage of the farm bill this year which um basically created a a regulatory structure um to federally legalize hemp as long as states have hemp programs that follow these basic guidelines that the Farm Bill laid out. And uh, part of the Farm Bill's language um, that really got people excited is it it didn't just legalize hemp, but hemp products, and it specifically listed um, cannabinoids and isomers of popular cannabinoids um, and this whole laundry list of chemical constituents that would be found in cannabis. And so the impression that a lot of people had as that was as that bill was getting discussed and debated and finally passed is um, that oh that that's going to legalize CBD and um, to some extent um, it has in the context of the Controlled Substances Act um, so you know that's what the DEA uses for enforcement um, and so basically. You know, if hemp is being cultivated according to uh, the rules of the Farm Bill, um, then the CBD that's in that hemp, as well as, you know, the other cannabinoids, as well as THCs below 0.3%, um, then it uh, falls outside of the scope of the Controlled Substances Act. Um, so that's a really big deal. Um, unfortunately, what the Farm Bill does not do, um, that I'm not sure if a lot of people realize, um, and there are there are a lot of good people in the cannabis science space now trying to bring attention to this. Um, but the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act um, did not get changed. And um, the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act is, um, you know, a, a piece of um, regulation that dictates how food, drugs, and cosmetics can be made. But a, a key piece of it is that it states that, you know, things that are approved as drugs can't just be put willy-nilly into foods, um, cosmetics, and that sort of thing. And uh, the problem with CBD is that CBD is now considered a drug by the FDA um, because it it has gone through drug approval processes. Um, GW Pharmaceuticals um, 
drug Epidilex has uh, been approved as an investigational new drug. So um, the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act, you know, brings, it It causes a, a bit of a road bump in the path uh, for the, the CBD industry. It makes the future of the CBD industry very ambiguous right now. Um, and the FDA is sorting through how to deal with this because they recognize the CBD industry is huge. There's a lot of industry pressure um, to create uh, clear pathways to getting CBD to people. But, you know, they do have to enforce the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act. Um, and the only way that that act is really going to change is if Congress uh, makes a movement to change it. So, um, yeah, that's that's sort of the beginning of teasing out the complexities of the CBD industry is while the Controlled Substance Act was taken care of, the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act has not been taken care of. Um, and so, you know, I don't know what the future of CBD-infused products is going to be. Um, the FDA took testimony back um, very recently, like May 31st, I believe it was, um, of this year um, from all sorts of different people, hemp cultivators, um, CBD manufacturers, um, researchers, just a, a host of different people to try to get public feedback on CBD um, and the arguments for and against um, trying to allow it in foods and cosmetics and that sort of thing. And uh, you may have seen like CVS has actually started stocking um, CBD infused topicals. Um, yeah, and basically set up a middle finger for anybody that because <laughs> weren't they getting a, <clears throat> getting a little backlash on that? I uh, from what I've heard, um, I'm not totally sure, but um, I've heard from you know, people that I know personally that uh, there's been a little bit of backlash on that as well as backlash on how a lot of major big, big companies have mm -hmm. been stepping into the CBD space. You know, there's a lot of tension around that. Um, but yeah, so we'll see how it goes. Um, I do think that people that are getting into the CBD industry should be a little wary um, and understand that there's quite a bit of risk to manage currently just in you know we just don't know what the future is going to be and what the fda is going to do and even when the fda makes a decision on what to do we don't know what their enforcement priorities are going to be you know if they're actually going to try to shut people down or not and under what context um so um yeah well, aren't we going to be like right now isn't olcc essentially regulating uh, what's in dispensaries when it comes to CBD. And then basically there's no regulation when it comes to retail. Um, somewhat. So yeah, the, in Oregon, um, the Oregon liquor control commission is managing the quote unquote recreational cannabis, um, side of things. And this is where things really get complicated. Now that hemp is legal, you've got States that have, um, cannabis laws that have laws directly addressing THC and in some cases CBD as well. Mm -hmm. Some states have don't actually have specific language in the rules about CBD, and so some states are trying to fix those gaps now. Um, but uh, yeah, so you've got this recreational cannabis side, which you know people traditionally thought about recreational cannabis as high THC cannabis, but that's not the case anymore. Um, now. Um, one, I, I really don't like the term recreational cannabis. I think it's very limiting because there are many, many people that rely on the recreational cannabis markets for medical purposes. Um, and that's what's driven a lot of the high CBD products in the 
um, the rec market. Um, and so now when you go into a, a rec dispensary, you see products that are high THC, high CBD, and every ratio in between. Um, and so then the question comes, well, are those high CBD products hemp? And it's like, well, technically no, uh, they're not. If they're not produced under um, a regulated industrial hemp program by the state, which is a totally different uh, system. And so in Oregon and, and other states, that's managed by departments of agriculture, the hemp side of things. Um, and so if a high CBD plant isn't grown under the hemp program, um, then it the farm bill is irrelevant uh, to it. Um, and so that's confusing um, just in how these regulatory structures are being set up. Um, and then when it comes to retail spaces, um, I wouldn't say there's a, a total lack of regulation, but um, there's a lack of enforcement right now on a lot of things. So um, to sort of back up a little bit and to tie into some of the work I've been doing lately, um, it's really important for people to understand that if you're going to make foods um, or cosmetics and sell them to people, there are um, regulations in place that dictate how those products need to be manufactured, um, basic levels of quality they need to meet in order to be on the market. And those are set up by the FDA. Um, and those are, um, you know, GMP is sort of a buzzword these days. Um, but that's what that refers to is the FDA has these sets of guidelines um, called current good manufacturing practices or GMP or CGMP. And um, they have a whole regulatory structure for um, a whole set of guidelines for uh, foods, for dietary supplements, for pharmaceuticals, um, for cosmetics, um, and and even things like how to handle digital records and all sorts of other things related to product manufacturing. And no matter what you're making, um, you you have you you're supposed to abide by those rules regardless. And so hemp products, CBD products are no different. Um, and so that's something I'm trying to do a lot of quality education on right now with a lot of companies is, you know, really need to be looking at these rules and understanding them and building them into your business practices. Um, because when enforcement does, you know, start to get more strict, when the FDA starts really, um, going after bad players in the market, or even, you know, for instance, in Oregon, when the ODA starts doing more careful food safety inspections, product inspections, um, and that sort of thing. And if you're not abiding by those rules, you're really opening yourself up to a lot of risk, unnecessary risk, because really um, the GMP guidelines are sort of industry best practices anyway. They're things that you should be doing regardless. And what I try to help people understand is how to value those rules to add value to the business and not view them as just a compliance piece, another checkbox that they've got to take care of. Um, because I've, I've now working with several different companies. Um, I've seen, you know, different examples of why those GMP rules will help protect the business, um, over time. And, you know, these GMP rules um, require things like, um, vetting your suppliers, and recording that, having a systemized way of vetting suppliers. Um, when you're getting ingredients, um, actually verifying the C of A's that come with those ingredients, um, the certificates of analysis, mm -hmm. which a certificate of analysis is basically the test results that show the identity, purity, and potency of whatever ingredient you're using. Um, and, you know, folks in the cannabis world are used to this with 
cannabis C of A's, but um, you know this applies broadly to any in food ingredients, um, essential oils, dietary supplements, all sorts of things that you might source to make a new product. They they should come with C, uh, C of A's as well as safety data sheets that indicate their um, how to appropriately use those products, things about toxicity, all of that. And so GMPs require that you know you're critically evaluating these ingredients, you're looking at the safety data sheets, um, you're using materials appropriately. Um, they re you know require things like um, different sorts of environmental controls and production controls to ensure that um, you're not going to accidentally contaminate a product. Um, and then of course, throughout the um, production process and at the tail end when the product is manufactured. Um, getting that tested and making sure that it's of a known um, potency and purity, just like we're used to with testing cannabis broadly, and um, and then instituting other you know really important things like regular internal audits to make sure your systems are actually functioning the way you think they are, um, making sure that you're keeping appropriate records so that you have a way of evaluating. Um, the the quality of your processes and your products and um, so it's all relatively pretty basic stuff um, but things that if you haven't been in uh, food manufacturing or the dietary supplement manufacturing world before it might be a little new just in how to onboard those systems uh, in a way that's effective um, and so that's something I'm, I'm trying to help folks with is um, just how to understand those rules and get them implemented and I, you know ultimately all of these companies that are coming about, I'd like to see them succeed. And I want to ensure that the products that are making it to the market are as safe as they can be. And, you know, and that's, that's really an extension of the work I was doing previously with cannabis testing is, you know, I want to see public health and safety managed. Well, I want to see, um, manufacturers take responsibility for the products they're making and how it affects, you know, the consumers and, um, and try to raise the level of integrity and quality across the board so that when people look at the cannabis industry, they don't think, oh gosh, that's an unregulated mess and oh, the products coming out of there, you can't trust them. You know, I want it to be, um, you know, sort of a next level thing where people look at that as a model of like, oh, you know, um, they're doing things so well, we need to emulate that in other industries. You know, I'd really like to see that. Um, and so I don't know if that's, Unfortunately, it seems like there's a lot of manufacturers, though, or uh, companies, I guess I should say, that are kind of devaluing it. They're they're putting out isolate, yeah. which we need to talk about, and um, it's just dumped in like it's just an herbal supplement and not regulated by the FDA or anything. Um, you know, it's just on the shelf, and, yeah, it, and yeah. it, you know, and it's I know that CBD uh, does help. And especially full spectrum. Mm -hmm. uh, but maybe let's talk about that real quick. You know, let's, what's let's, the difference? Let's because, please talk about yeah. full spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> that's a uh, man. That's, I don't think a lot of consumers realize that there's both things, if you will, mm -hmm. and that there's a big difference. Yeah. So this has been a really hot topic in my um, realm of work lately. Um, so just to start off, I'll say, for anybody that is unfamiliar with these terms and where we're coming from, if you if you go in and try to buy CBD products right now and you go look at the shelves, see what's there, you're going to see products that are labeled as full spectrum, broad spectrum. Um, companies are getting clever with all sorts of terms they're using now to describe these 
these spectrums, spectra. And the spectrum that these terms are referring to are the chemical spectrum that theoretically is um, representative of the starting material used to form whatever cannabis extract uh, went into that product. Um, and by hearing the terms, you would think that full spectrum means that the extract captures the quote unquote full spectrum of either the plant or the flower or the resins. And that broad spectrum is not quite full spectrum, but you know, the chemical spectrum has been manipulated a little bit and then you've got isolate. Um, but it's actually not that straightforward at all. Um, there's no standardized definition of what full spectrum and broad spectrum are at all. Um, they're not scientific terms. Um, companies are using these terms <laughs> in whatever ways make sense for them. And what I've noticed, at least as of last year and the year before, is that these terms were being used primarily for companies to differentiate their extracts from isolate primarily. And so if they wanted a consumer to know they weren't using isolate, they would slap full spectrum on there or broad spectrum. And uh, now consumers are getting more savvy and starting to ask more questions. So yeah. that's not really flying as well as it as it did a couple years ago. Um, but that's that's been my experience is that these terms are primarily used to differentiate products from isolate. And, and there are some companies now that are trying to change their terminology, invent new terminology that's more accurate to describe what the products are. Um, but I mean, just the other day, and I, I actually just wrote a section in the revised version of my book um, about this, about full spectrum, broad spectrum. And I mentioned that, you know, I, I went to a store and... Um, was looking at these different products and I saw a, this interesting um, variety of a, a product that was called full spectrum. And when I asked what the extract was that was used in it, they said distillate. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Distillate being full spectrum for, <laughs> for people that don't know um, a distillate, you know, when you make a distillate, you're basically purging out, all the chemistry from the extract other than the cannabinoids and even some cannabinoids are purging out you in and there are a variety of different types of distillates too so i should be careful about how i talk about that because some distillate manufacturers will get mad at me um and say i'm misrepresenting what they make but um you know some distillate manufacturers will try to capture terpenes as well or they'll mix terpenes back in um, but it's important for people to understand that ter uh, distillates are refined extracts, pretty, re pretty refined. Um, and so I saw that product and I was like, okay. And then I look at another product labeled as full spectrum. What's the base for that? Oh, it's CO2 oil. I'm like, okay. Um, so CO2 oil, very, very different than distillate. Um, CO2 oil, much broader spectrum of phytochemistry than distillate. Um, but still... You know, I don't know if I would go as far as to say that CO2 oil is is full spectrum by any means. Um, and and someone may want to argue with me about that, and I'll be open to that conversation. Um, and then another product, I mean, these are side by side. And the other product was made from an ethanol extract, mm -hmm. also called full spectrum. And it was so funny because what I was seeing was basically... Um, a spectrum of plant chemistry among these products with the ethanol extract having more phytochemical diversity than any of the others, CO2 oil being in the middle and then distillate being on the end.
but they're all labeled full spectrum. <laughs> so imagine how confusing that is to a consumer that doesn't know as much as I do about the chemistry and, and everything. Well, obviously um, we know they're going to look at it and say it's all the same. Yes, exactly. And, and, you know, as far as trying to understand things like, um, how chemical diversity affects, uh, the pharmacological response when you take that product, um, you know, there's still a lot to tease out, but we do know that there is some level of phytochemical diversity um, needed that will help enhance the efficacy of CBD or THC and other cannabinoids, um, possibly even allow people to take lower dosages and have fewer side effects by getting and, and get equal or greater uh, therapeutic responses. Um, and so this it's important to tease this all out, if someone's trying to find the broadest spectrum of chemistry they they can find, they may get misled into using a distillate product when really they want an ethanol extract. Or maybe they don't want an ethanol extract, but they also don't want a distillate and they're looking for CO2 oil. I think there's a place for everything, um, depending on everyone's unique um, biochemistry and, and kind of what they're after. But the communication needs to be drastically improved to help consumers understand what they're actually getting for sure. Uh, is there any one uh, product? No, I shouldn't even say product. Is there any one process that you could call a full spectrum? In my opinion, no. Um, so there's, there's several pieces to it. When you do an extraction, there's no extraction that's perfect. Um, I mean, unless you just melt down the plant into a goo, um, there's, any extraction process that you do, and certainly all the major extraction processes used in cannabis, target some limited spectrum. Even ethanol extracts aren't going to grab everything. Um, so then it comes down to, well, what are you referring to when you say full spectrum? Are you referring to the plant, the whole plant? Because um, also full spectrum sometimes gets used synonymously with the term full, uh, whole plant extract, which I have a whole other set of issues around that. Um, there are some companies that are using whole plants and extracts and by whole plant, I mean, leaves, stems, flower, roots, everything. Um, and for those companies that are doing that, great. They're, they're creating whole plant extract products and the term whole plant extract, um, that is a more traditionally defined term that comes from herbalism. Um, but very few companies are doing that. And uh, so when they're using full spectrum, if they're not referring to the whole plant, are they referring to the whole flower or are they referring to the whole resins? And if they're referring to the whole resins, then there's some room to um, use that term a little more accurately. But I, I still think it's too misleading, really. Um, but, you know, you can capture the resins from the flower and, and capture that phytochemical diversity um, pretty well through a lot of extraction techniques that are used with cannabis. But certainly you're not grabbing everything from the plant or everything from the flower. And even if even if you did do a variety of extraction techniques and mix those extracts together, there's also a technological limitation with what cannabis testing labs can do to verify that you've captured that whole uh, phytochemical diversity. Um, you know, there's, there's a presumption by some that analytical labs can you know, basically take a sample, stick it in a machine, and it's going to tell them everything that's in it. And that's just not really the case. There's so many different aspects to it. And the way you 
prepare a sample in the lab changes um, what you're going to be able to analyze. Um, the different technologies used to test a sample um, affects uh, the types of compounds you're going to be able to see. And even using something like a, a mass spectrometer, which um, is commonly used to identify unknown compounds in a, in a material in a sample, um, there's still limitations with that. And so it's important for folks to know that it's, it's very hard to verify whether you've actually captured um, the full chemical spectrum of, of something you've extracted. And so in general, I just don't, these days, I just really don't like the term full spectrum. Um, I think the term broad spectrum is more honest, um, but has just as many problems um, because then you get into this debate about, well, how broad does the chemical spectrum have to be before it's a quote unquote broad spectrum extract? And um, you still get into this problem where a distillate can be labeled as broad spectrum, the same as an ethanol extract. And um, so there's still that muddying of the waters. Um, and so ultimately I think it, it comes down to consumer education. Um, and it's important for consumers to feel empowered to ask to see test results of products um, so that they can see what cannabinoids are in that product, if it's been tested for terpenes, what terpenes. But even that has some limitations as well um, because you're not going to test a finished product for all of these different um, compounds that are going to be important uh, when it comes to therapeutic responses. Um so yeah, there's a there's a lot of nuance there, and the industry still has a, a ways to go, I think, to um, bridge these communication gaps. Yeah, and I think that should be part of the regulation is just being clear about what the product is, having some standardized, if you will, for lack of a better word, but standardized mm -hmm. terms that people can uh, get educated on and then understand. Yeah, I mean, it's it's important to have a standardized vocabulary um, yeah. so that we can all. Uh, speak the same language. Well, and, that yeah, and uh, also not have people be able to use these marketing terms to to mm -hmm. incorrectly present a product. In my opinion, though, I think if you're going to buy CBD products, uh, especially for health reasons, instead mm -hmm. of say novelty or something, right. uh, you should be going to a dispensary. And I think there's uh, this may be a separate conversation, um, a tangent, but and correct me if any of this is wrong, but you know you're you're. Uh, CBD that comes to your um, dispensaries, whether it's edibles or tinctures or whatever, are all going to be tested and at least to be able to sell through the dispensary. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a testing that goes beyond just that it's the actual thing it says it is and how much. Right. But, all but of the pesticides <laughs> and stuff like that. And that could be a concern even um, maybe not so much with distillate. I don't know the chemical process with that. So maybe the distillate, it gets all that stuff taken out. Well, it just, it depends. So there are several pieces to that. If you're in Oregon and you're buying hemp products made under the ODA's hemp program, the testing rules for hemp are actually exactly the same as they are for recreational um, cannabis. Um, however, there's not a lot of enforcement. Um as I've seen, and a lot of hemp companies are not doing that level of testing that they're supposed to. I think that will come back to bite them in the ass eventually, um, but a lot of them aren't doing it right now. Um, the companies that I have worked with, um, I always encourage them to take those testing rules very seriously and um, to get compliant and once again, not just view it as a compliance issue, um, but something that can boost the value of their own company 
um, you know, to be able to market that their products are of a higher quality and, you know, um, that the hemp extracts used are free from contaminants. And um, another complicated piece is, you know, it's not just about the hemp extract in a product. I mean, we're talking about cannabis products are getting so sophisticated now that you're starting to see some fairly complex um, herbal formulations on the market. And so the conversation has to steer a little bit away from the hemp extract and to talk about the um, the product as a whole. Um, because if you've got some sort of um, herbal product that has a hemp extract formulated into it, and it's got all sorts of other herbs in it that are also going to interact with the endocannabinoid system, um, then the efficacy of that product uh, may be unique compared to thinking about just the extract. Um, there are ways to enhance um, the effects of hemp extracts by blending other um, herbal constituents in with them. Uh, and something that I've been working on adding to my book um, just a couple of days ago is trying to teach people about these compounds in other plants that interact with the endocannabinoid system directly is all sorts of things like um, alkylamides from uh, extracted from the roots of echinacea plants um, interact with cannabinoid receptors, uh, beta-caryophylline, uh, terpene that's found in cannabis but is found in plant oils um, in a lot of different plants, um, interacts directly with CB2 receptors, uh, flavonoids um, from a lot of plants, it turns out, have affinity for cannabinoid uh, receptors. Um, you know, how we think about the endocannabinoid system and cannabinoids broadly is evolving at a rapid rate. And so if consumers get too caught up on the cannabis extract, they may miss the bigger picture, which is that whole formulated product and what's in it, what are the other constituents and how are those constituents working together to produce um, unique effects and, and unique uh, therapeutic value. Um, so that's just important for people to realize. Yeah, well, I mean, it's pretty much getting back to the fact that we kind of see that it's a synergistic um, yeah, exactly. process going on there. Uh, and I think that to even add more complication to that, everybody's chemistry is a little bit different, yep. I would assume. Yep. And so like different strains affect different people mm -hmm. and uh, different um, strains, you know, affect you as far as medicinally different. Right. Uh, some cause anxiety, some don't. Depends on you know. It's so I mean, I imagine CBD is the same way, or at least that full. Every everything, full every, yeah. everything you consume, um, our our biochemistry is is different person to person, and in the context of the endocannabinoid system, <clears throat> you know, um, the levels of cannabinoid receptors your body is producing are different person to person. Uh, what your endocannabinoids are doing in your body is different person to person. Uh, the levels of enzymes in your body that are responsible for producing and breaking down endocannabinoids are different. Even things like rates of, um, there's a process called autophagy or autophagy, which is basically the way that your body um, clears out cellular debris um, out of your body. And um, rates of autophagy are different person to person, and that affects therapeutic responses and, and in the context of, of drugs and foods. Um, so yeah, it's, it's super complicated and there's currently not a straightforward way to measure the tone of someone's endocannabinoid system. So it's, you know, it's trial and error. Um, and so absolutely, 
you know, take 10 people and they all try the exact same hemp extract or cannabis product or whatever, and you're going to get um, a spectrum of responses um, that, um, yeah, you can, you can standardize the product all you want, but, you know, all pharmaceuticals, foods, herbal medicines, everything is like this. Um, and it's just important that consumers keep all of this balanced in their minds and when they're developing their expectations of what a product's going to do. It's also the placebo effect, which is really hard to nail down, especially with cannabis. But, you know, what someone's expectation of what something's going to do that they consume is going to affect their experience, um, especially in the context of treating um, psychological, but even, um, you know, direct uh, physiological issues. Uh, the placebo effect can be extremely powerful. Um, to put it into perspective, um, oh man, I don't remember the details, um, of when it was done, but there was some placebo research that was done at one point where, um, the researchers had people come in that, um, had knee problems and thought they needed, um, uh, knee surgery to correct it. So, um, the researchers, um, put them under, uh, anesthesia. They, um cut open their knee, but then sealed it right back up. Didn't do anything. Just cut it and sealed it. Um, and they saw an overwhelmingly um, powerful placebo response in those patients. It felt like their knees were totally better. You know, they felt like they were younger again. Um, and it was amazing. And it just shows how powerful the placebo effect can be. Um, and there's also an effect called the nocebo effect, um, which is sort of the opposite. Like effects you expect won't happen, you know, can um, then lead to um, negative responses. And so there's a lot to tease out. Um, and that's why having these critical conversations is so important and to keep this all in perspective, because if you just wade through social media and pop culture articles, um, you can be given an impression that cannabis science and medical science is all much more straightforward than it actually is. Um, and, um, yeah, in order for people to, to find what they really need, they, they need to understand those things. And, and regarding the placebo effect, something that I try to touch on is in the context of cannabis, I, I think there are some therapeutic responses that people get from cannabis that are based in placebo. However, I don't think that's a bad thing, um, given the safety profile of cannabis. If someone's getting a therapeutic response and it's all placebo, fine. Like, great. I'm glad that they, you know, were able to get some relief, relief. for something that, you know, isn't going to hurt them. Yep. Um, and I, th I think that's important to keep in perspective, too, because some people get very worked up when you start talking about the placebo effect, very defensive. And they're like, what do you mean you're saying my stuff doesn't work? And it's like, well, no, I mean, it's your, it is your, working. your experience is yeah. real. Yeah, like it's working. That, that's important to clarify. Your experience is very real. I can't talk about that. Um, but I can talk about the pharmacological actions and the things responsible for producing that experience. And, um, yeah, if people are getting relief from placebo, then, then great. And, and to balance that, there are a ton of direct pharmacological effects from cannabis that do cause, you know, um, therapeutic benefits too. Um, but I think not as much as we think. Yeah. Well, and I think that if we were, if you were to spend some time and maybe experiment with some extracts, CBD type extracts and see what works for you, that might be worthwhile. I don't believe 
too much that maybe a distillate or isolate would work too hot. I, I, and this is no, this is just an opinion, Mm -hmm. but I would tend to probably lean towards broader spectrum stuff to try out. Um, well, certainly I don't know. (laughs) I mean, there are case studies that have come out from nurses and doctors that are doing, um, work with cannabis that certainly echo that, that sentiment, um, that as you get towards distillate and isolate, the, are needing to use higher dosages um, to get the same response they're getting from like ethanol extracts or CO2 extracts. Um, but it's, it's, it's all over the place. And it's also important for people to understand that um, like the clinical trials that were done with Epidiolex, which is basically pure CBD. So CBD isolate, 99% pure CBD, which the stuff that's called CBD isolate on the market is not always that pure. Um, but right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, usually From it's China. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. China white. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. As an aside, um, one thing that's very common in, um, dietary supplement manufacturing if you get ingredients from china or lead or, or india no, um, <laughs> there's usually a higher standard for quality testing um, oh, okay. because of issues um, related to uh, contaminants and and purified powders and stuff but um i guess my big thing and it's a it's a it's a view on things and it's just a, maybe a stigma or something but when it seems like to me when you isolate something like that and then make it you know, a product or a pill. It just seems like that's pharma to me. Well, um, you and know, cannabis it, has always been more than pharma in terms of not just ideas, but, uh, like the full spectrum, like yeah. the whole plant when you're getting all those cannabinoids and you're mm-hmm. getting medicinal effect, but then you try to isolate it down to just one, any given one thing. And it just becomes a chemical and I know it's all chemical, but you it generally, just becomes a pharmaceutical yeah. thing. You generally run into unique challenges and and problems when you get into isolated compounds and it's something that um, pharmaceutical industries know very well at this point Um, medical sciences over the past decade or two has started to realize that the isolated ingredient approach um, while it's valuable for certain things um, is not as valuable as um, we once thought i think you know my perspective on it all is all of these products are tools they all have appropriate and inappropriate applications, and some of those applications can be more limited than others. And so I think there's there's a space for isolated CBD, for pharmaceutical CBD, epidiolex and everything. Um, and I think there's, there's room for um, distillate and CO2 extracts and ethanol extracts, um, and it's going to take a while for them all to find their place. Um, But, you know, yeah, absolutely. Isolating CBD, that is sort of the traditional pharma approach. I don't necessarily think that's bad or good. Um, Like I said, it's just the development of another tool. And it's just important for people to realize the limitations and issues around that. And like I said, you know, some of these case studies from uh, doctors and nurses that are doing the work that are actually seeing how patients are responding with these products, um, seem to be echoing, you know, what you're saying, that um, therapeutic responses seem to get more limited as you concentrate it. And, um, you know, something I was going to touch on earlier is the study with Epidiolex um, using purified CBD, the dosages they were using, um, I believe they started out at five milligrams per kilogram of body weight. And so when you start to scale that up, 
And keep in mind that these trials were done with children. So I don't know. Let's just assume a kid weighs 100 pounds. Um, a kilogram is 2.2 uh, pounds. So um, I hope I don't screw this math up, but a 100-pound kid be like 45 kilograms or something like that. And so you're talking about 5 milligrams of CBD per 1 kilogram. So you're talking 5 milligrams times 45 mm -hmm. um, and that's the starting dose um, to try to get therapeutic response with epidiolics at least um, and then um, in some cases they up those dosages all the way up to I believe 10 milligrams per kilogram of body weight now you balance that dosaging out with a lot of the products CBD products that are on the shelves right now and the dosages per serving are like 5 milligrams per serving 10 milligrams per serving um, that's a huge discrepancy. Now, while I believe it's possible to boost the efficacy of the CBD product through phytochemical diversity and that sort of thing, I do think a lot of these CBD products that are on the market are not potent enough. Um, I don't think they need to be as potent as these epidiolex studies. I don't think the dosages necessarily have to be that high in the context of phytochemical diversity, but... Um, they probably need to be higher than they are. Well, I can tell you this. When you go to a dispensary and you look on the label, mm -hmm. THC or CBD, you can look on the label and, it'll, and like an edible will say, okay, these are gummies and they're 50 milligrams a piece. Right. You flip it over and it says they're 43, tested at 43 milligrams. Right. Okay. So if there's that much leniency on something that's regulated, you know damn well all that stuff that's sitting on the shelf. Oh, yes that's sold in Fred Meyer yep. or right now I can go down to thrifty the yep. minute market and pick up some CBD gummies, which frustrates me to no end. Yep. Uh, and, and you can't tell me it, it probably has for all we know it has nothing in it. Right. And well, and that's that coming back to the GMP piece and quality management. Um, that's an important piece of that is companies have to, without, it being defined in regulations, uh, companies have to define what that acceptable variance is. And a lot of companies totally ignore that. They don't define that at all. They're just like, screw it. It's on our label of how many milligrams is in there. Just if they're getting it tested, get it tested and get it on the shelves. We're not going to redo our labels um, just because it's off, you know, some amount. But, you know, that's a big part of some of the consulting work I'm trying to do with companies too is, you know, this is a marketing differentiator. Like, be able to define your variance, stick to that variance, and tell people yeah. about that variance so that they know it's like, okay, if this is labeled, let's say 50 milligrams of CBD, yes, it may not be exactly 50 because that's unreasonable to expect. Yeah. But you can expect that it's going to be somewhere between 48 and 52. Right. You know, and, yeah. and have a narrow range. And the the goal of a of an effective quality management system is you're going to steadily narrow that range over time as your processes get better and better, better and better. Yeah. Um, and so th that's the type of thinking I'm trying to get companies to do. It's like define these specifications. Um, and when you define them, uh, create processes to uphold them and then market them. Differentiate yourself. Yeah. Add value to your company and your products by doing that. Um, there's so much opportunity for uh, product manufacturers to enhance the value of their companies just by instituting really robust quality management systems and understanding that the whole point of a quality management system is continuous improvement. And if a company doesn't want continuous improvement, then, you know, that that raises red flags to me. Sure. Yeah. 
Um, and I just, not to sidetrack, but I just yeah. want to let you know, um, Ralph Wiley Farms had made a comment and he was just saying, uh, CBD seems to be just a nutritional shop supplement. And we kind of covered that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what it does appear like on the shelf. Well, I mean, you know, it, it does it, appear like it's just another bottle lost on the damn shelf. Mm-hmm. And really, does it do much? I don't know. I've never taken anything off a store shelf. And I sure as hell wouldn't buy a thrifty uh, CBD gummy. Mm-hmm. But I have, and this is something else I wanted to bring up, Ben, before I forget, not to sidetrack at all. But uh, I often wonder the differences between, because there's all this CBD flower now. Mm-hmm. And people are smoking CBD flour, yeah, yeah. even across seas, you know, over mm-hmm. in the UK, they're smoking CBD flour that doesn't have any uh, THC or not enough to affect you at any point, you know, right. point, it's not point three or something yeah. less. Uh, so what would be the difference? Is there is there health benefits to CBD being smoked because that's processed by the body different as an edible? Right. So the, the method that you're taking in might be different as well. Um, well, it, it depends on what what you're trying to get from that product you know well the reason i say that is because if i had pain that i was trying to alleviate and i wanted to use like say a broad spectrum cbd mm-hmm. i would probably go buy myself an edible because for me and in my experience i have found that edibles in general are what are medicinally more effective for me mm-hmm. so i would prefer instead of smoking a joint say of a cbd flower to try to get some alleviation of right. whatever symptoms i would probably eat an edible but again, there's no differentiating there either. Everybody just says, take this pill or, <laughs> you know, take this infused whatever. Uh, like I often wonder, infusing food in a restaurant. So if you own a restaurant and you say you uh, provide CBD in the food, and, and it could be a choice. So you can yeah. get either or, either mm-hmm. CBD infused or CBD not. I probably guarantee it's probably a distillate or an isolate. And it's probably white powder in the back room that you're mixing in with your stuff. Yeah. But yeah, that's at the been... same time, see, again, you're, you're riding the thing of, okay, am I coming here just for the novelty? Cause I'm getting CBD. Right. Or is it really going to help you to have that CBD, um, steak? You know, I, <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. I'm, and if it's used in food, like I said, they're probably most likely using a distillate of some sort, some sort of powder or something. I don't see them using concentrates. Yeah. I that's mean, it's not cost I've, effective. I've seen, I've seen a variety, but in general, most commonly I see distillates and isolates used um, for that kind of manufacturing, primarily because it's easier um, to work with the dosaging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, More accurate and easier to just infuse, I'm sure. Yeah, and just having a, a highly potent product like that, um, you know, you're just diluting it down um, however you need to and, and using it. I'm, you know, personally, my personal opinion um I'm highly skeptical of a lot of the CBD infused foods. I think there's there's probably some value to some people in those, but um, I think. So, are you think, saying health wise? Are you saying more towards tinctures, or what are you saying would be most effective for someone that's just sitting down to try it? Well, you know, I what I what I personally prefer. Um, I like tinctures. Um, I'm a big fan of traditional herbal medicine styles of, of doing things. Um, so I like tinctures. Um, people have to be careful because a lot of CBD products that are on the market that are called tinctures, um, that term's not always used properly. Tinctures technically is supposed to be an alcohol-based you know, right. liquid product. Um, but there are a lot of um, MCT oil. Like glycerin-based, uh, huh? Tinctures, glycerin-based. Um, I'm not a fan of glycerin-based stuff. Personally, I just find that it uh, 
just makes my stomach feel a little weird. I don't know. Just well, the it way can I, go rancid I, easy if you it don't can. have well, proper. That's, that's exactly what yeah. I was going to get to. Um, uh, there's an issue around the shelf life of a lot of products like that. Um, there was a push early on to make these um, sort of um, MCT and other oil-based products um, out of actually um, hemp oil or hemp seed oil using these these hemp-derived oil bases. And those go rancid really quick, <laughs> really quick. And if you've ever smelled or tasted a rancid um, hemp extract like that. Talk um, about skunky. Oh, it is terrible. I've accidentally <laughs> taken a dropper full oh, no. of a rancid um, oral CBD product. Uh, it was so terrible. Um, did it stay down? Um, it did, but... Man, I regret that. It's, it was a life lesson for sure. Like, smell it before you uh, take a dropper full. That's probably a smart idea. So it's got definitely a uh, <laughs> unique smell. Before. Yeah. And even MCT products, you know, after a few years, MCT products in general, are if they're pure, are usually pretty shelf-stable for at least a few years. Um, but I've involved, been involved in some um, shelf-life studies with those. And after a while... Um, they can kind of start to taste like rubber. It's um, it's really can interesting. You, can you do things like refrigerate mm-hmm. that stuff yeah, to make keep it, last it longer? longer. Yeah, okay. for sure. Because I know that if I was going to make home stuff, um, I would I, I would stay away from the alcohol. I'm not partial to it. Yeah, and that's and that's why there's been a push to MCT oil in a lot of these products. Is because a lot of people don't want to use alcohol, um, and and I totally get that. And and I I like both. I like I really like alcohol spray. Um, yeah. products. Yeah. I'm a big fan of those. I used to use um, Herb Farms um, breast sprays all the time. Um, I used to love those. And and now I find myself occasionally using um, CBD alcohol-based sprays. And then for the droppers, I use um, MCT-based stuff. Um, that's just what I've preferred. I like, you know, controlling the dosage with that. And I think I've mentioned before on the podcast, I'm a big fan of experience journaling and trying to, whenever you're trying to understand how a product, like a cannabis product is affecting you, um, at least for the first several times you take it, taking good notes when you take it, what your dose is, what the product is, everything you know about it, and try to jot down what you notice about how your body's responding to it. And, And then you can go back and look and see trends of what seems to be working and what's not because if you're not jotting it down it can be hard to keep track and memory is a fickle thing Mm -hmm. um you may think you remember how something went and the reality can be very different um so that's something i try to do and it's something i did with cbd products for a while when they started to hit the market and i was kind of testing the waters with those and so that's what i I found that um alcohol-based sprays and, and mct oral formulas um i like a lot um like you said, I'm I'm a fan of edibles when you need um, pain relief, especially long-lasting pain relief. So something I don't talk about a lot, but I'm probably going to get into on my podcast, so I might as well talk about it here, is I have several, um, several medical issues, um, you know, that I've used cannabis for um, for a long time. I've got several bulging discs in my back um, that cause quite a lot of pain every single day. And, um, you know, what I found is the best way that I personally can get relief from that with a cannabis product is, is with edibles. Um, it takes longer to kick in, obviously, but it lasts a lot longer. So as far as something like trying to get through the day, you know, a CBD edible 
with a little bit of THC in it because that THC being part of the CBD products is very important um, to boost the efficacy. Um, that's definitely something that I've personally noticed and research seems to support that as well. Um, you know, taking a, a CBD edible um, can help me get through the day without noticing my back problems as much. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to try just CBD, but um, on the edible side. But for me, I've been really since I, you know, I took that almost five month break. Mm-hmm. So I took almost five months off completely everything. Nothing. Yeah. No, no Tylenol, no ibuprofen, no. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah no. Um, just a purge. Just purged everything. Yeah. And not like a full clog. I wasn't on juice and stuff, yeah. you know, but. Um, just kind of get back purged, to a baseline. Just get back to a, a homeostasis of, uh, of chemicals in the body. And, you know, to just try out. Uh, I, I, for one, I do like to know that I haven't dove too deep into something. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, if, if I had, you know, in, in, in the past I have had troubles with it, but, you know, with a substance, say, like alcohol or pills or something, thankfully they haven't, well, pills anyway, hasn't been an issue with me. But if I dive in too far into something, I can run into some some troubles. Mm-hmm. I got that addictive personality style. So, you know, I'm thinking, well, you know, I've smoked since I'm 18. I'm like, mm-hmm. am I addicted? There's a lot of talk about addiction. Is it right. is it not? Is it addicted to, addicted to some people? There's all those other questions, you know, like everything can be addictive. Right. Uh, so, you know, what is addiction in yep, yep, all yep. these definitions mm-hmm. that you fight with? And so I'm like, well, I'm just going to I'm just going to stop and, and see what it is like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, five months, which I felt was pretty good, a decent enough time. It was more than 90 days. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what people have to do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm like, I'm going to go more than what people yep. have to do sometimes. So I went past 90 and I just took it to like 140 or something like that. And. You know, honestly, it taught me a lot. First of all, I wasn't addicted. Yeah. Um, but I did know, I noticed this. Anytime you put something in your body, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what it is. It's going to make some sort of change. Yes. Yeah. Uh, big or small. And so, and I think that's what people can sometimes mislabel addiction as, you mm-hmm. know. So, for instance, when I quit smoking, the first couple of days, I didn't sleep well. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that was because I was addicted. I think that's because it adds to my ability to sleep or I'm used to using it as a sleep method. Mm-hmm. And your so body we, had to figure out how to yeah, adjust. Exactly. So when you take that away, uh, your body is getting itself back to some sort of baseline uh, without it. Mm-hmm. And so s- stuff like that. Uh, I thought I'd be a little bit grumpy. Really wasn't grumpy as much as you just need an outlet for your new energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, not that for me, cannabis never made me tired, but it did relax me. Mm-hmm. So when you don't have that relaxation at times during the day, you, you can just, you know, you get yeah. kind of mm-hmm. so exercise, taking walks, just doing things in general will get rid of all that, quote unquote, um, you know, bad mood stuff going on. Yeah, that's just that's just energy you need to burn off that that you haven't had to burn off because you're using a different method to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, not much. I, I did start dreaming very vividly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, vividly. I've had that experience, too. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking like nearly what do they call that when you control your dreams lucid dreaming dreaming, i mean almost Mm -hmm. to that point uh but just real like talk about people say do you dream in color or or black and white Mm -hmm. i'm like color baby (laughs) this stuff is in living oh man (laughs) and so that did disturb me a little bit because i had to get used to that Mm -hmm. like you go years without much dreaming going on and then you boom and it's just like 
Well, that's the reestablishment of um, deeper rim cycles. Right. Um, yeah. and, and I've seen articles on that. I mm-hmm. understand how that works. And it also makes me understand why it works for PTSD patients. Yes. Yeah. If you're having nightmares like that and you're beating yourself yep. up or your spouse up at night, I can totally tell you that it's going to help you because you're not going to have those, at least not as many of those night terrors terrors man Mm -hmm. um because i did my bad dreams did increase too so Mm -hmm. not only my good dreams bad dreams increased and all that and so anyway um but i also learned that i didn't like to do certain things high Mm -hmm. which is really cool yeah you know because when you smoke weed at a young age like i just want to get high and do everything right you know i want to get high in wrath i want to get high in camp and i want to get high in whatever yeah well i realized hey i don't want to be high for everything (laughs) you know like a lot of times working with an interview or doing my equipment mm-hmm. or setup or teardown or any of that stuff, I am, I'm flat out just, you know, yeah, no. Um, so I learned a lot of things. Uh, but also I learned coming back that it works for me. I, I know now being clean for so long how it does actually work for me. Yes. Yeah. That's just so important. Yeah. So now I know how to apply it without just doing it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Know, it's okay, it's, it's not just here. a programmed behavior that right. you're doing without thinking. And I can actually use it. Uh, what do you call it? With intention. Yes. Yeah. Be mindful. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I like that. Um, and so with that long story, uh, edibles, I've been experimenting with them when I came back from this and medically very valuable for me. Um, I don't get as much, nearly as much pain relief. I don't get any of the symptomatic relief that I do as when I take an edible. Mm-hmm. And again, that's dosage dependent. Right. And then that's what I like about it. If people take the time to experiment with these products, whether it's CBD or THC or both, uh, being able to use an edible and start small and build your way up and experiment mm-hmm. with it, man, you can, a lot of people can microdose, not get high and get some relief. Mm-hmm. Also, people like me, I'll take 200 milligrams and know that I'm going to have a great evening, a mm-hmm. little bit of giggles, mm-hmm. and no pain, Yeah, and sleep like a baby. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's if anything, you're going to sleep well. I could say that for most people, I bet you if you started a, if you were on Ambien or a sleeping medication, and you don't want to take that mm-hmm. shit, if you work yourself on some edibles, start them small. I bet you you can get off those pills. It's it's tricky. The sleep thing, it's it's funny you're talking about these things because it ties directly into an interview I did um, for the Curious About Cannabis podcast just a couple weeks ago. Um, I talked to uh, a health and wellness educator that um, does a lot of substance use education um, to high schoolers, um, college students, um, and we actually talked about um, several pieces of what you just went through. One, the importance of abstinence breaks and trying to understand what your baseline is and taking a personal inventory of yourself and your relationship to the foods and substances that you're consuming and trying to make sure that um, those behaviors are st- still within um, what you desire for yourself and your life mm-hmm. and, and the outcomes mm-hmm. that you want. Um, and everybody's different um, with that. Um, but then also the sleep thing. Um, it's, it's weird. For some people, cannabis seems to work really well for sleep. Other people, it it will get them to sleep, but it will not keep them asleep. And it's part of that REM disruption. Um, it's almost like alcohol. You yeah. know, alcohol make you pass out. But right. Then but then you, you wake up a few hours yeah, later throughout the night. Like, yeah, and, and cannabis can be the same way, and it, it, it just depends person to person. Um, I think certainly it's very valuable um, to help people get to sleep, and 
um, and potentially keep them asleep. Um, but but that that piece is is just not quite as straightforward. Um, uh, some people I bet really can. Some can't. people could find relief. Yeah, definitely some people can. And, and I've talked to plenty of people that that do. Um, and I've talked to plenty of people that have realized that while they thought cannabis was helping them sleep, um, they found that actually it was just getting them to sleep, but they were actually, um, um, ending up more tired, uh, by the time they woke up, um, because they were waking up every few hours very briefly, um, hmm. but just weren't staying asleep. And so it's, it's one of those things that needs to be teased out as far as understanding these differences person to person and trying to figure out, um, you know, when it's appropriate and when it's not. And, and this trial and error process and personal inventory process is like, well, you don't know until you try it out and see if it works for you or not. And, and then even if you've been doing it a while and you think it is working, I think it's a good idea to do an abstinence break and try to come back to a baseline without it. If you can, some people have very severe, um, sleep issues, or like you mentioned Mm -hmm. with PTSD, other Mm -hmm. issues that, you know, really, they have to be a little more careful sure. about the abstinence sure. breaks and sure. everything. Um, if it's really helping them in a, in a very severe way, but, um, being able to regularly do those, those self inventories, I, that's, that's something that, um, Matt Vogel, the, the guy that I interviewed, um, he, he touched on a lot that I really resonated with, uh, regular, um, personal inventories about your own health and wellness and making sure that, um, you know, the things you're consuming are, are actually helping you mm-hmm. um, and, and trying to get that perspective of yourself. Um, super, super important. Yeah. Well, and some awareness, I think a lot of times we get so caught up within it, you know, being so beneficial and, and enjoyable for sure. Mm-hmm. It's enjoyable and incorporating it so much in our lives that we just, it can become just something that's there and you're not conscious of yeah. how it's used or how you're applying it or yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of people I've talked to that, um, and friends of mine that have said, you know, they realized they were consuming cannabis a lot and um, weren't even thinking about it and realized, and once again, it's something we talked about on, on the interview I did recently that people here eventually, um, you know, they thought it was benefiting them because they've just been doing it for so long. And then um, when they took a step back, realized it was just a repetitive learned behavior and yeah. it wasn't something they were doing intentionally. And for some people, um, when they're using cannabis regularly, uh, cannabis can start to affect you differently over time. Not for everybody, um, but for some people, uh, cannabis can kind of turn a 180 um, once they've been chronically using it for a long time. Yeah, I think I think for most anything, um, mm-hmm. if you use it for a long, long, long time, mm-hmm. especially a long time, uh, it definitely changes. I've noticed it with other drugs. Mm-hmm. Um not necessarily hard drugs, but, but like right. alcohol over a long period of or time, caffeine, caffeine over a long period of time. Uh, but I also believe this too, you know, people freak out, like they'll have these studies and they'll say, well, and this is a real bad example, but say cocaine. Well, you know, here, here's your brain without cocaine. Mm-hmm. Here's your brain with cocaine. Look at all these chain. look at what it does to your brain. And I'm like, okay, if we know what it's doing is bad, then it's bad. Okay. But if it's just changing the brain. Right. Change itself is not inherently bad. Not inherently bad. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe anything that you put into your body for mm-hmm. a long period of time is going to change your body and your brain. Yeah. Uh, I know for sure, even with alcohol, you're an alcoholic for a few years. Your wiring's different, man. Mm-hmm. 
And when you come off that alcohol and, and stay sober, it's it's rewiring. There's a lot of shit going on in your head. No, that's that's so, really, really important to point out because um, even with, with cannabis, you know, there are studies that show um, changes to the brain uh, with long-term cannabis use. And, and, you know, that is the question to ask is like, well, is that change um, good, bad, or indifferent? Is it, is it um, just um, your brain um, responding to um, its environment? Like, right. So is it just um, wiring in a way that is evolving to that? Right. Just an adaptation. Yeah, right. And is it a permanent change right. or, you know, just a, yeah, just the way that your brain is having to, to function under different stimuli? Um, these are really, really important questions to ask. And, you know, we don't... <laughs> Medical research and, and scientific data, you know, we'd all like to think it's further along than it actually is. But, you know, we don't have good answers to a lot of these questions yet. Um, and and who knows when or if we will to some of these, some of these questions. Um, so it's really important for people to be... Um, a little critical, but, but keep it balanced and, and understand, um, all of the immense nuance to all of this. And, um, you know, another thing that I see with cannabis use and, and therapeutic use is there's so much talk about the therapeutic benefits that I think some people feel pressure to get therapeutic relief from cannabis and they'll try it. And it's almost like they're trying to force that therapeutic response because they're like, well, everybody else is getting so much relief. Why isn't it helping me? And it's important for people to understand, you know, it's, it, it, while it helps a lot of people, it doesn't do much for a lot of people too. And if you're one of those people, that's okay. Yeah. Well, and I do see it in a lot of, uh, especially it seems like older generations that are just starting to experiment with it. There might be a little stigma in their head like oh gosh you know this used to be bad right yeah yeah yeah. is this gonna turn me into a raving right become a reefer addict after this or what and so i think a lot of it in their brain is like okay well it's medicine it's medicine so i'm gonna find some you know and Mm -hmm. i'm old and i got achy joints and and so they go in like that i know my mom did my mom was against cannabis for Oh, Until yes, 2015. Yeah. You're speaking to the choir, yeah. Yeah, and then all of a sudden it goes yeah. legal and she wants to buy a cartridge. Yeah. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> now it's okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know. And now, I, it's now, now she's going to find some health benefits. And she's, she literally honestly has. She takes yep. a cartridge and she'll take one, maybe two small hits at night because it does help her mm-hmm. to sleep. And it helps her sleep through the night. So I'm like. That's great. There you go. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, so I, I buy her a cartridge every six months and we're yep. good. <laughs> that's uh, similar to me. You know, my family, um, for those of you that don't know my background, you know, I'm originally from Mississippi, from the deep south. Uh, major, major stigma there around cannabis use. It um, was until recently. I mean, you, they're one of the last states they're going to be yeah, coming aboard. Which is it's so weird because Mississippi in the '70s was one of the early states to actually decriminalize uh, possession in the in the home. Um, but that, yeah, that didn't continue. Um, and so my family, uh, very similar, um, very anti, was only familiar with. Uh, the propaganda that had been put out, you know, throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, about um, the harms about cannabis. And they weren't familiar with the therapeutic aspects. And, you know, now my mom uses a cannabis infused cream regularly to deal with arthritis and fibromyalgia pain. And, um, you know, my dad has um, these certain CBD products now 
that he uses to deal with um, headaches and, and other issues. And they say, you know, yeah, it works better than than any of the pharmaceuticals we've tried. And and that kind of feedback I take really seriously from people like that that come from a background of assuming that it's harmful. Yeah, and, having a little skepticism and then having it prove the the situation yeah. wrong is definitely a good yeah it's you know when indicator. i when they tell me feedback about stuff i'm like okay that um that just puts things into into really good perspective because they're not bringing um those sort of positive biases into it of assuming that mm-hmm. it's going to work and do well and, and all that you know they're if anything they're trying to promote a nocebo effect in uh and taking it and be like, yeah, this is probably not going to do anything. And then they're like, wow, this did a lot. It's like, okay, that effect is almost certainly very, very real. Um, yeah. And indirect. I've noticed the topicals, they just take a little longer. Um, Again, like, for, yeah. for, like for me, I'll have to rub it on for a couple of days. It, it depends. So <clears> topicals <throat> are, are really interesting because the way you formulate them um, can affect that quite a lot. Um, so... Um, well, and there's different ways you can get it absorbed through the skin. That's exactly what I was know, getting to. Yeah. There are some terpenes that are very, very effective sure. skin penetration enhancers um, that can help deliver cannabinoids through um, those initial layers of the skin. So the way the skin is layered, you basically have these like oily layers and watery layers um, back to back to back, which is really important because it helps keep things out of your system. Um, and so if something likes dissolving in water, it probably doesn't like dissolving in oil. And so having these lipophilic, lipophobic layers, um, it helps protect you. It's one of the functions of skin. Um, but when you're trying to apply a therapeutic substance and you want it to penetrate through those layers and reach either um, the blood vessels that are in the dermis of the skin, just a little deeper, uh, right below the epidermis, or uh, there are cannabinoid receptors in the skin. Um, there are also nerves, obviously, in the skin. And, you know, depending on what you're trying to, to reach, you can formulate topicals um, to help make that more effective and and help those therapeutic responses come on faster and possibly even deliver um, cannabinoids deep enough into those tissues that it can reach those blood vessels and actually circulate in your system too, which is why drug testing in the context of topicals is very, very tricky. Um, it's a question I get a lot of like, am I going to fail a drug test if I'm using topicals? It's like, well, I can't tell you you won't um, because it just depends. If, yeah, I've heard both ways. Yeah. If, I've heard it's, it could be your metabolism too. Yeah. Um, if it if it gets past the epidermis, um, and then it's going to get into your system and circulate. And then like over time, yeah, you, mm-hmm. you could fail. If you're using a product that really is just staying on the outside of the skin and not soaking in, you'll probably be okay. But I, there's no way I'll ever tell someone you won't fail a drug test for topicals. It's just very tricky. No, and I think you got to be careful, like you said, of the, the delivery system on the testing part because um i know alcohol will get into your system through your skin mm-hmm. i've been tested for alcohol after working with rubbing alcohol isopropyl alcohol mm-hmm. with lenses and didn't pass wow and wow. had had zero alcohol wow yeah well so, i know alcohol is also used as a skin penetration enhancer yeah um, well it works because yeah. it, and it got it wasn't a large it wasn't like they weren't saying oh you've been drinking right it was just like but trace they're amounts. like wow they're... this is interesting that you're mm-hmm. working around alcohol and then it shows up well, in minute amount in your blood and it's like oof. well coming back to um cannabis product manufacturing especially in the hemp and cbd space um there's a lot of use of ethanol um to do either primary extractions or extract refinement um so the way that um a lot of 
extract producers will clean up their extracts is by taking their sort of crude extract, dissolving it in ethanol, getting it really, really cold, uh, quote unquote, winterizing it, though um, there's been debate over whether that term's accurate anymore. But anyway, getting it really, really cold, having these heavy fats and waxes uh, precipitate out of the solution and clump together, and then you run it through a filter and you can get those heavy fats and waxes out and you've got a nice, nice looking, um, uh, relatively clear oil. Um, but um, I have some safety concerns around the handling of ethanol in some of these facilities. Um, I've seen a wide range of operations and sort of the levels that companies are going to to protect their workers. And some are doing a really good job and some are hardly doing anything. And some of that just relates to ignorance um, of just people that are doing the best they can but don't know better. And then some people, some people that are just um, kind of ignoring those pieces. Um, so some, some of the manufacturers that aren't addressing the issue is not necessarily like malicious or negligent. It's, sometimes it's just they don't know better, and and sometimes it is negligent. But you know, if you're breathing in ethanol fumes, handling ethanol a lot, not taking um, proper precautions to uh, wear gloves, wear other protective equipment, um, you know, it can get into your system. Um, you can get drunk off of inhaling um, ethanol fumes over time. Um, so it's it's important if there are any manufacturers listening to this, um, it's important to uh, make sure to understand some of those aspects of the chemicals you're working with and, and take um, proper precautions uh, to protect yourself and use appropriate um, PPE, personal protective equipment, mm-hmm. um, when doing that, that type of work. Sure. Sure. All right. Well, so with that said, we've kind of covered a lot. There's so much to cover on CBD. Oh yeah. It's insane. And it's just going to get crazier as time goes. And and just something we can revisit. Um, so in your, for you, um, in your expertise that, you know, uh, what is your best advice for consumers on the market and CBD? What, how, what's your best advice to keep them safe and what should they do to, um, yeah, well, I think the, there's a couple pieces and with anything you consume, you need to educate yourself about what you're consuming. So the first piece is really, um, developing as much education as you need to be able to make informed decisions about the products that you want to consume, understanding how products are made understanding these different types of extracts um, and how they're used in products um, and just getting some baseline understanding of that so that you know good questions to ask of manufacturers and retailers that are providing products so that you can, you know, kind of grill them and and see how much is understood about the products that are available. Um, I think it's really important for consumers to feel empowered to ask for test results on products I think that that, while it'd be great if test results were available for all products everywhere, um, I don't think that's a realistic expectation. So that's, um, you know, uh, a deficiency that consumers in some states will have to work with. They may not be able to get access to test results on products, but if they can't, if you're in um, some state that does not have... um, you know, the CBD is kind of new and a lot of products are just coming onto the market without much oversight. Um, it's 
just asking as many questions as you can, understanding where these products are coming from, researching the companies that make them, trying to understand if they can, if those companies can demonstrate levels of integrity, um, trying to understand um, how companies maintain quality. Um, like I said, a lot of the consulting I do now, um, while it's all focused on science, there's so much quality management involved. Um, and so, yeah, learning the right questions to ask, um, learning about these different products and the nuances of their differences, looking at the ingredients that are in products other than just the hemp extract and understanding whether there are, um, whether it's a product that's basically just a hemp extract suspended in MCT oil, or is it, you know, a more sophisticated sort of medicinal herb formulation, I think is important to tease out. Um, trying to understand the expertise and credentials of the people that are manufacturing or particularly formulating and manufacturing um, these products is important. And I wish consumers didn't have to take so much time to do so much research, but I think it's just really, really important, um, and it's going to remain critically important until this industry evolves and matures over time. And with that said, there are a lot of really good players in the industry that are trying to do things well um, and trying to um, do education with consumers and help help people understand um, what these products are and how they're different and demonstrate the level of safety and everything, so trying to find those companies. Um you know, those are some of the best things you can do. Um, always try to understand whether the ingredients of a product have been tested for contaminants or not. Um, well, I was going to just lead into that. So basically, if you're lucky enough to be in a rec state, you might check out a local dispensary because you're going to have more testing on those kind of products. Most likely. It depends. It depends state to state. Um, but yeah, you know, especially, geez, California, their testing rules are very, very strict. Um so if you're in California and you can go to dispensary and find CBD products, um, in general, the, um, level of purity of those products is, um, is really good, um, compared to most states. Um, yeah, that's the bulk of it. Keep an eye on the changing regulatory structure around CBD. Try to keep an eye out on what the FDA is talking about in relation to regulating CBD, you know. The way I see it, it could go a number of different ways um, as far as how they decide to um, provide some guidance on the CBD industry. There are different precedents that have already been set in sort of the natural products industry um, that could that the FDA could use to interpret what to do with CBD. And, um, you know, they could take one stance where they say CBD is a drug, can't be in food, can't be a supplement. Um and if it's going to be used in any other ways, it has to go through, you know, this rigorous approval process and they could take that approach. Um, another approach they could take is saying that, you know, products that are fortified with high levels of CBD are considered drugs, but products that have natural occurring levels of CBD um, are not. That's, that's another approach they could take that would totally change um, the way the industry matures. Um, or they could do something unique um, and view this as an opportunity to change the way that natural products are handled from a regulatory perspective altogether. Like I said, um, keep an eye out on the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act. See if there's any talk of Congress changing it in any way. 
Um, so yeah, staying up to date on all of that, asking good questions. Um, and just use some common sense. I do think because like we had said, or I had talked to you before the show, um, people are being misleading mm-hmm. with their marketing stuff to the extreme, um, making claims or, or, uh, you know, just, just be careful of what you're buying, uh, yeah. And and don't believe everything you read. Like I oh, told yeah, you yeah. is that this gentleman on Instagram is touting that he came up and developed CBD crystals, um, you know, a pure form of, of CBD and which is BS because that's already been done. A for, lot of these, a, while. Yeah. a lot of these chemistry things that we're applying to cannabis has already been done folks um, quite a long time ago. So that's, it, it's that's, new to cannabis, not new to the, the world. Yeah. The, the, that's a really good point to make um, the processes. So the technologies around uh, making these extracts and everything, um, most of them are, are, not new the applications are new the processes are getting tweaked to be optimized for cannabis but a lot of this technology has been around for a very long time um and well, I've, fractional I've been... distillation didn't just come around because of cannabis no 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 no. <laughs> yeah and i'm seeing like a cycling it's like as as an extraction technique or even testing um even certain things in cultivation as there's hype around um, a technology. Um, there are people that claim they were the first to do it and not necessarily acknowledging that the natural products industry has been around for a very long time and things like CO2 extraction, ethanol extraction, distillation, um, isolation. Um, you know, these are all things that they're, yeah, they're not new. Um, they are methods are getting tweaked to be optimized Mm -hmm. for cannabis, but they're not new. And, um, another piece too, going back to what I would tell consumers is another piece I haven't touched on, but is extremely important understanding dosage. And, and another thing that I've seen on CBD products is sometimes you'll see a label that says a thousand milligrams and you're like, of what, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like a thousand milligrams and you'll look on the label and never see any distinction of, is that CBD or is that hemp? If it's hemp, is it hemp biomass or hemp extract? If it's hemp extract, what kind of extract? Um, so being very um, critical of how dosaging is is being communicated on labels is extremely important for consumers too. And if there's any ambiguity on dosaging, I would look for a different product um, because that's that's just so important. And how are you going to, you know, going back to ideas of self-inventory and journaling and all these things. How are you going to understand what's working best for you if you don't even know uh, with some accuracy um, what you're consuming and what the dosage is? You know, it's you're basically going to try that product and learn what works for that product, but it's not going to be applicable to anything else. Um, so, you know, yeah, reviewing dosage. And once again, it's super tricky because with the FDA and everything, an approach that some companies take, and I don't blame them for it, because they're just trying to manage risk. Um, some companies don't even want to advertise CBD, and they just want to talk about hemp extract and just say, you know, this is legal hemp. It's a botanical extract in this product, and they leave it at that. And that helps them um, uh, be a little safer when it comes to FDA enforcement. Um, but that doesn't necessarily help consumers that are trying to 
use CBD in any sophisticated way. Um, and you know, like I said, I don't, I don't blame companies for taking that approach. I totally understand. Um, but it's just important, a nuance for consumers to, to know about. If you see a hemp product, um, yeah, understand what the potency is and, and what the, the source of CBD is. And if you see the term hemp oil, man, that is a loaded term because some companies are using like hemp seed oil and calling it hemp oil. Other people are using, um, resins extracted um from hemp and saying that's hemp oil um and so just if you see that term hemp oil on a product ask some questions and understand what it's really referring to especially if there's not any indication of cbd potency um, because hemp seed oil has got very trace levels of cbd not very much at all compared to the resins that are you know predominantly cbd um so yeah that's just another another piece for consumers mm-hmm. to know about um good point and, man. and wade through just read labels carefully um and if it's confusing if there's ambiguity don't get it find something else that you can trust and give these companies feedback if you see a company with a product on the shelf and their labeling is super confusing and you as a consumer can't decipher what the potency is and it makes sense of how to use that product. Um, and you have the time because don't we all just have enormous amounts of extra time, but if you have the time, you know, send that company a message or call them up or something and say, Hey, I wanted to buy your product, but you know, there were these issues and, um, you know, some of those companies will take that to heart and try to improve what they're doing. And, you know, we can all own a little bit of responsibility for helping, um, the cannabis industry, whether it be in hemp or recreational cannabis or whatever, to help bring it up to a higher standard by holding each other accountable, providing constructive feedback, and I would say uh, respectful constructive feedback. I, um, yeah, just be careful how you communicate with people. Um, it's not valuable to just totally diss on somebody on Instagram, blow somebody up, and you know, cuss them out. Like that's not going to be a productive way forward to helping everybody perform better and, and to help consumers. Um, No, my only problem is, and I've seen a lot of uh, people react to that in that way is that I've seen CBD companies on Instagram. Like I saw this one that had a meme that showed there's two different species of cannabis or marijuana as they put it. And I was like, right there. And I was like, okay. So they said there's cannabis and there's hemp. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Yeah. Ah. It started out real good. <laughs> <laughs> and on the right side with cannabis, it says, this is the plant that contains THC. And then it lists oh boy. It's, oh, its benefits, if you will. Mm-hmm. Honest to God, every benefit, this is a CBD company. Every benefit on there was something that would have been found on Reefer Madness. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, psychosis, uh, you know, links to schizophrenia and everything, just oh everything yeah. just listed. And then it says hemp, not plant that doesn't contain any THC. And then it's like anxiety relief, the miracle relief. plant. Yeah. yeah. And it just lists. And I'm like, this is coming from a CBD company. I, I, I wanted to reach out and share my opinion. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> a well, lot of people did, but it's like, come on, come on. That's, well, I'm hoping you're going to try to come at that with the cannabis community. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> there's so many things, so many issues. That kind of stuff that. though is going to mislead some, some yeah, well, it, you know, it's important for consumers, for everyone to understand that 
product manufacturers, and this is not necessarily inherently bad, but product manufacturers are trying to control a narrative. And they're, they're trying to control a narrative in general that favors them. And so um, companies can be more or less ethical about that. Um, there are ways to construct narratives that are honest and are educational and connecting people with um, reputable information um, that favors their company because their company is trying to do something better. Um, but then there are the companies that are constructing a totally uh, a, t- a totally false narrative um, to make their company look better um, without actually um, without any any real substance behind it, and and so it's important to be skeptical of the narratives coming out of um, you know from product manufacturers. And like I said, not all of them are bad or dishonest, but you've got to get be critical. And um, you know, it's something that um, I was asked by a product manufacturer recently to contribute some to some educational video content they were making, which I was happy to do. I love doing that type of work. Um, and one of the things I talked about on one of their videos was um, the difference between quote unquote hemp and marijuana. And the first thing I say is they're the same plant. They are both cannabis. They have different chemical profiles according to the way that we think of them now. Um, in the past, they were differentiated more by their intended function use, and use. Yeah. Um, but now with legal definitions, it's really all about chemical profile. But even then, still, it's all the same genus. It's all cannabis. It's all... It's all the same plant. Um, there's, of course, the taxonomical debate: how many species of cannabis are there? And you know, there are several different camps in that. Um, I tend to fall into the camp that there's one species, and you know, there are a variety of subspecies and varieties under those. Um, and there are very respectable scientists that I um, that I like a lot that disagree with that, and I understand why. And it's sort of a debate that will probably never end primarily because in science, we can't even agree on what the word species even means. But hemp and marijuana, they're the same plant. Um, They just have chemical differences, morphological differences, but you can breed them together. They create viable offspring. And so, you know, I come from more of a biology background. So, you know, according to the biological species model, that's one species. Um, And... Well, in... in Farmer, farms know this already because they flip out about these hemp farms not using uh, feminized seed. Right, right. There's this yeah. big hemp farm that has... Because pollen, yeah. It's... Yeah, that's went out <laughs> over on the new mm-hmm. connecting highway there, the, the expressway. Mm. And it's a big hemp farm and they're not using feminized seed and they're getting a lot of shit for it because that's going to spread a lot of pollen. Well, and these hemp farms are getting so big too that, you know... This is a major, major issue. Yeah, this is acres. Because, if you look at it on Google Maps. Yeah, it's... no, this is a huge issue that it's, this is super critical for people to pay attention to, especially if they want to get into cultivation or breeding. Um, these hemp farms are going to be massive, and some of them already are. Mm-hmm. And when you get on that scale, controlling for males, um, unless you're like cloning or tissue culturing plants, um, it's going to be impossible. It's just, it's, the pollen is going to be out there. I mean, you're going to get seeded then. Yeah. 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 And some of these big hemp farmers don't care. Like they've got, they've got so much biomass, like having seeds, whatever. 
Um, and there's there are a lot of hemp Love farmers. Sell that to Costco for right. your cereal, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and, and that being said, there are a lot of hemp farmers that do care and are trying to grow hemp for resin production, and they value the exact same things um, that that cannabis cultivators um, that are growing uh, for the rec space, you know, care about. If you're growing for resin production broadly, then you care a lot about whether or not there's pollen floating through the sure. air. Um, but um, that's something I'm keeping an eye on. I really want to see how that battle um, well, settles even out. A, even though there's a cost, they could use feminized seed. But even with that, you know, you're feminized seed get... is still not going to be perfect. No, and but come on. When you're talking... It's, it's a lot better. Thousands uh, of acres. Right. Your <laughs> your chances definitely a improve smaller. a lot. Um, but you're still going to have problems. Um, and so... Well, and then you build it by like an express way. And I'm sure some will be. <laughs> right. Think of that. Just air wind, flow, wind tunnels that just, just come and cycling that yeah. pollen all and it the can, way down. And it can be carried for so far, miles and miles. Um, yeah, and, one male can he can spread his, oh, his yeah, goodies can, all over. Oh yes, yes. Um, so I'm interested to see how that how that shakes out um, and how that'll be managed. Um, because right now. I hear a lot of talk about it. Uh, people are upset about it and wanting to find some resolution. Um, and I admit I'm not totally connected into some of the um, regulatory discussions around some of that now. But um, to my knowledge, there hasn't been any strong um, movement to try to regulate that aspect of these of the cannabis industry broadly and and the interplay between growing cannabis. Um, for purposes where you're not necessarily valuing resin and, and, and then the resin production uh, for cannabinoids and terpenes and stuff. Um, yeah, we'll see right now. What I hear is just these farms pop up that aren't managing for males and, you know, they get threats. Um, uh, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if we saw some of these farms, you know, get vandalized or, you know, it's. It's a sensitive, sensitive thing, and people have a lot of money riding on all this stuff. So. Well, and just like you know, just like uh, growers that grow for THC, uh, you know, they're going to be growing in the same areas, the same regions, right? You know, for yep. for good growth. But we're going to have to make peace somehow. Um, yeah, I don't, exactly. I don't see any of them quitting. I do see hemp farms being significantly bigger. Yep. Uh, than you know your uh, THC farms, but. Yeah, it's not going away, that's for sure. And so we have to find a way for these these different different perspectives to to live peacefully together. Mm -hmm. um, that's tricky. <laughs> so what did we miss with the uh, CBD? Do we miss anything in your? Um, I think we hit most of the important points. Um, you know, like I said, keep an eye on the regulations. Don't take anything for granted. Don't assume that just because the CBD industry is so big that the FDA is going to cave under that pressure. Um, especially, do you think the Do you think that industry is going to be regulated by the FDA? Like, well, I by, mean, de by default, it is. Okay, um, but shouldn't so it isn't cannabis writing that fine line of should it be or should it not be because. Yeah, so it's it's going to get into or both. It could be OLCC and FDA. Right. It's gonna it's gonna get into these same same areas where uh, states are going to be coming up with their own rules. The feds are going to have their own rules and it's probably going to create a, a tricky environment to operate in. But as the feds 
regulate things more and more, states become less and less incentivized to create laws that contradict those rules. Um, so I don't know how it's going to go, but just don't, don't take any of it for granted. Don't assume that, um, there's not going to be enforcement. And one thing we didn't talk about, um, that I think is why the FDA will start to enforce rules against CBD is, um, I know that in Mississippi right now, I've, I've gotten, uh, reports, uh, from people I know, um, teachers that teach in, um, high schools in Mississippi that say that one of the trends right now is kids are learning that there are some quote unquote CBD products on the market that have high levels of like Delta eight THC, other types of THC that don't fall into what's regulated and yep. uh, they're not Delta nine, not THC eight. Um, uh, and they're uh, using these um, to try to get intoxicated. That creates a public health and safety risk, and that is what will motivate the FDA to take more enforcement action. And that's getting to be a bigger and bigger problem. And there are some companies that could care less about that and are just pushing as much of this out onto the market as possible. Yep. And that is going to ruin things for everyone else, I think. Um, yeah. I'm disappointed to see that behavior, but I'm not surprised no. because in a free market, you know, the niches will be filled. Mm -hmm. If there's a demand, it will get filled by somebody who is willing to take on more risk than others and who has, has less um, ethical concerns. About well, and there's multiple industries that use that method uh, chemically wise. Like mm -hmm. look at, look at uh, the steroid industry with pro hormones, right. pro hormones, yeah. you know, they're, they're one just one little molecule or right. one little thing yep. just different than than the original makes mm -hmm. it legal right yeah and you're exactly. still getting you know 70 I mean, percent of the benefit that's the whole concept around designer drugs yeah. you just manipulate things a little bit so that it falls outside of uh whatever there are laws for and then you can keep going that's going to affect the cbd industry in a profound way um there's also a breakdown product of cbd that um might be intoxicating as well. Cannabinodiol. It's basically the CBN of CBD. Okay. So uh, when THC um, starts to degrade, uh, one of the degradation products is CBN. When CBD starts to degrade, one of the degradation products is CBND. Um, there's not a lot of information available about CBND right now, um, but it is... Um, I wanted to do some work with it um, from a research standpoint. It was hard to get standards for it because they're still controlled by the DEA. Um, because of that reason. And so there are so many nuances to this CBD discussion and cannabis broadly and how this industry is developing um, that even though CBD itself, CBD alone, um, has been demonstrated as being pretty safe and well-tolerated among a lot of people, um, there are still some public health and safety issues to be dealt with um, that are not straightforward. And I expect that sooner or later... Um, the FDA and, and other regulatory bodies will catch on to those and um, will start to carve out some budgets for enforcement around CBD. Whereas right now, the FDA is primarily going after people making medical claims or that are um, putting out bogus products. I mean, back in like 2000, oh, I'm going to get it wrong. I think it was 2018, 2017 or so. The FDA actually went around... Um, got up a bunch of CBD products, tested them to see if the label claims were accurate, and they found a lot of the products didn't contain CBD and didn't contain cannabinoids at all. 
And then a lot of them, of course, that had CBD was not in the concentration that it said. It's like trace amounts. Um, That's all the stuff I would be concerned about. Yeah. And so, you know, the feds are wrapping their minds around this and trying to figure out how to proceed, especially in the context of the laws that already exist around drugs and food and cosmetics and, and balancing that with perceived risks to public health and safety. Well, now, isn't there... And I could be completely off basis here, but isn't there some sort of CBD toxicity? Can't you get too much in your system? Well, yeah, with anything. Um, that's something that I don't have numbers on. I mean, not like by smoking um, cannabis or something, but I mean, like if you had some sort it of. It causes. So some of the. In some of the clinical trials that have been done with CBD, um, they found that. At certain dosages, people start to have gastrointestinal distress. Um, It can cause some, in some people, some nausea um, and then some fairly severe lethargy as well Mm -hmm. when getting to those higher dosages. Mm -hmm. Um, So certainly there are are those side effects. There's also, you know, CBD affects the way the liver processes other drugs. And so in higher dosages, that effect can be really pronounced. And so it can be dangerous to consume high levels of CBD if you're also taking um, certain drugs like blood thinner drugs, um, chemotherapy drugs, um, that if the levels get off that, you know, could kill you potentially. Um, It's really important to be aware of that. It's one reason why I'm I'm trying to do more and more work with doctors and nurses um, to bring attention to that. Because right now people are nervous, scared, apprehensive, whatever, to talk to their own healthcare professionals about CBD or their cannabis use broadly, because a lot of doctors and nurses don't know anything about it. But from my perspective, especially with CBD, um, you know, this effect of affecting the the liver enzymes, these P450 enzymes that break down a lot of common drugs, it's it's commonly referred to as the grapefruit effect. Um, and some medication, I've been teaching yeah. about this for several years, and mm-hmm. some medications that you get will have a little grapefruit warning on it. Um, well, the effect that, according to some of the research that's been done, the effect that CBD has on these enzymes uh, compared to grapefruit is actually stronger. And so understanding that aspect, like at what point is CBD, you know, going to cause... Um, some problems with other medications being metabolized, which in essence is going to raise the concentrations of those drugs over time in someone's body if they're staying on their same schedule of taking that medication the same time every day, and then they're changing the way it's being metabolized. You're just going to get more and more of that in the blood. Um, so understanding that piece. Um, so there's a safety aspect there. Um, so yes, there are um, some safety issues to be aware at aware of. In most cases. In most products, as they're available currently in these lower dosages, um, most of that is not a problem. Um, but, you know, that all has to be teased out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for sure. Wow. So much. Oh, yes. Jeez. Yeah. It, it, nothing simple. <laughs> no, no, no. And I, yeah. I just, you know, going into this, I didn't realize CBD was going to be, you know, back in 2015, I was just worried about, you know, buying flour legally. Right, yeah. And now there's just so much just so in depth with that and CBD that it's just, yeah. And there's so much investment money and everything coming into these industries. That's well, it's almost like CBD's getting more. Like if you Mm -hmm. look at these companies, like, yeah, there was a handful of big, uh, companies that jumped on board with TH and still are with the THC side of it. But they see a bigger future. But CBD, I mean, there's, they popped up like 
anthills. I mean, they're just everywhere. And after the CBD thing plays out, it'll be CBG. And, you know, the hype will go from the next thing to the next thing as um, the reality of of uh, the benefits and limitations of these products matures. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to stick with my broad, my broad spec, my full spectrum, according to the box, but broad spectrum. <laughs> and, you know, um, I, I, you talked about keeping a personal diary type thing. I do that. And I've noticed I've added some details only because of packaging, mm-hmm. but I do it with my flower and a lot of packaging now has the top, like say five to eight, uh, terpene profiles. Yeah. And the, yeah. and so I'm starting to label those now. Yeah. And and not that I'm going to – I know I'll get some information. I, I do see some um, patterns, mm-hmm. but it's hard when everything has mercine. Yeah, I know. Well, it's, it's something that I, I get cracked up about sometimes with or the terpene stuff. Or beta or whatever. Yeah. There's a couple of them you see all the time. Right. And, I mean, in cannabis, um, yeah, you're going to see high levels of mercine and beta caryophylline. Um, you're going to see decent levels of pinene, mm-hmm. you know, um, some, some of those. Yeah. Um, and, and linalool, like mercine, um, will sort of its, its process of breaking down, it can become linalool, geraniol. And so the reason sometimes that you see, um, consistently, um, linalool and geraniol and, and some other, um, terpenes there is sometimes it's because the 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 plant is is synthesizing those but it's also because mercine is just degrading down into those as well okay um yeah. so yeah it's it's tricky and the whole terpene thing i'm gonna do a whole episode about terpenes and trying to review that critically um there's so so I'll join that so, discussion. so much hype about terpenes <laughs> and some of it's some of it's warranted and, and some of it is just so overblown um so many claims being made that or unsubstantiated um that yeah i'm I'm interested to have some some really critical discussions about that well the terpene boat has has sailed because it's um it's just a runaway train oh yeah yeah uh you know i and i understand that people are really into it's it's no different than a beer or wine yeah i mean you're essentially uh, appreciating the terpenes in those products too oh yeah and then that's um a a motivating factor for a human i think yeah with most consumable in the hops industry terpene profiles are a really big deal mm-hmm. um, and there's all sorts of sophisticated analytical techniques to evaluate terpenes there's a there's a really cool device that i'd love to use one day that connects to a gas chromatograph that uh, it's called the sniffer the snfr and it has a nose piece you literally put your nose into it yeah the sample's running through uh, the gc and so the the compounds are getting separated and they're volatized and you're actually smelling them as they're coming out and you're dictating um, what you're experiencing while you're um, smelling them and everything. And then at the end, you can see your chromatogram that shows you the peaks, concentrations of all those terpenes, what they are. And then you can run, you can see your timestamps of um, different comments you made and go back and review and have this very sophisticated, wow. um, you know, organoleptic evaluation nice. of, of the terpenes in a product. And that's been going on in the, yeah, the beer and wine industries for a while and it'll catch up to cannabis too, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I'm not, I'm not shocked at all. Uh, I just, I, they're hydrocarbons, right? Yes. Terpenes are hydrocarbons. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Let's make that clear. Terpenes are hydrocarbons. I've had a <laughs> lot of discussions more like, yeah. Uh, uh, they're organic compounds. Disagreements. They're primarily carbon and hydrogen. Yes, yeah. yes. And and one way to, to even sh- I was going to say highly volatile. One way to show that is you can leave your sauce and diamonds open for a couple hours, mm-hmm. and it'll be basically just uh, 
a dried up diamonds. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it, it goes away quick too, just yeah. like alcohol. It is gone. Yeah, it's, it, the fact that you're smelling it means that it's volatizing. Volatizing, off. right, absolutely. Um, and I found that interesting um, that we enjoy terpenes so much. So one of the easiest concentrates to make would be your diamonds and sauce, and that's you're just separating the terpenes out, mm-hmm. you know, to and it's just full flavor, man. Yeah. Like, and, and I have some... I have several scientist colleagues of mine that I'm looking forward to talking to about the toxicity of terpenes. Um, cause I have some questions that may become concerns about, um, the safety of smoking high concentrations of terpenes. Um, I, on the curious about cannabis, um, social media pages recently, I, um, shared an article that came out a couple years ago, fairly recent, um, talking about, the degradation products of common monoterpenes. So looking at like myrcene, limonene, linalool, I think those are the main three they looked at and in the context of dabbing. And they found that um, those compounds quickly become benzene, which is mm-hmm. highly carcinogenic and um, a few other products that um, are very irritating to tissues may exhibit some, um, you know, they may also be carcinogenic and trying to, to find that balance and how to minimize potential exposure um to some of those byproducts by using lower temperatures ideally um you can't, i saw that article that you'd posted yeah. or not article but the little just excerpt. a share mm-hmm. yeah just an excerpt yeah you know and the key is you'll never if, if you want to smoke you're never gonna eliminate exposure to carcinogens that sort of thing um but you can definitely uh, minimize that exposure and that's what i'm interested in understanding and how to get that information to people is how they can um, reduce any harms associated with their cannabis use. If they've, you know, if you've decided you want to do that, um, then let's find the best way. Um, Right. Right. And, you know, it could be that uh, doing concentration or extract hits and stuff like that, it could be worse that way Um, when it comes to the, the concentration of the bad stuff yeah and, and and there's not the same sort of long-term safety data available for concentrate consumption like we have for flour um you know these are relatively new products on the market um much different than sort of the traditional hashish you know that had been around for a long time um and so you know i think it, it's important to remain critical and accepting of new information as it comes out um and once again, I keep saying it, that personal inventory of like, what do you care about? What are you after with your health and wellness? And, um, and how can your behaviors with anything you're consuming, um, you know, support um, your objectives when it comes to your own health and wellness? And if you're fine smoking and, and being exposed to those sorts of things, um, fine. Just yeah. try to find the um, best way to do it so that you keep yourself as safe as possible. Well, thankfully, and- terpenes don't you know, taste worse, the hotter they get. Right. So you have a so intrinsic motivation. You, ha- you to... have some motivation to keep it low. In fact, yeah. you know, I keep pushing it lower and lower and lower. You find a balance between using the material efficiently, mm-hmm. not wasting it and, um, and, and keeping it real low. Yeah. Cause one degree down more, it just mm-hmm. brings out just a little bit more and you keep getting, but then you push it too far and it just wastes it. Yeah, totally. Doesn't burn so, up, but. Yeah, so that's another argument to to not um, not overheat your extracts. You don't want to be inhaling a bunch of benzene. Uh, definitely not. 
And, and that's part of what's happening when you're losing that flavor. It's just because those terpene molecules are breaking up into their component isoprene units and then coming back together to form these, these nice pretty rings. That's what benzene is, um, these, these molecular rings. Um, that can be, um, and unfortunately, um, like if you were to, it could be that it gets to the point where smoking, you know, like uh, THCA crystals mm-hmm. might be healthier. Uh, rather than having just a bunch of terpenes that are being volatized in there as well. Yeah, that remains to be seen. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, who knows? All right, well, let's wrap up with uh, what you got going on. Curious about cannabis. Now, you don't have the website up yet. Well, I've got – it's technically live. There's just nothing there yet. Okay. Um, So I'm working on getting episode zero ready. It'll be Mm. just like a little bit of sneak peek uh, content that I'll post up there um, so people can get some understanding of... Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody's got an episode show. zero. Yep. I do. Yep. I try never to listen to it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's... It's that's... going to be the worst episode you have because yep. everything beyond that is It just gets better and better. Yeah. yeah, I know. I'm trying to get over that. Like I said, I'm... <laughs> Let it go. So, I'm so nervous and anxious, I can't even... But... Like I said, I can't even listen to mine. I go yeah. back and I'm like, oh. Yeah. I I hope people like it. I I hope that what people will recognize is that I'm I'm really trying to do the best that I can uh, to, to connect people with these critical discussions and reliable information about cannabis. And it's, you know, it doesn't have an agenda. It's not pro-cannabis. It's not anti-cannabis. It's just like, what's going on? What's the reality? How do we sort through that? And so, you know, there will likely be things that some pro-cannabis folks hear that they may not like, but there will be other things they hear that they like a lot. And likewise, folks that are very anti-cannabis, there are things they hear that will probably rub them the wrong way, and other things that they'll they'll think is is um, appropriate. And so, just kind of brace for that. It is about critical discussions about cannabis. Um, and so I imagine I'll have people on either side of the aisle hating me by the end of it, which tells me hopefully I'm doing something right as an educator. Um, and hopefully that'll spark some broader discussions in the um, in our communities about this stuff. So CACpodcast.com is where you can go to um, find episodes, subscribe and everything once the content gets ported there. Um, other than that, um, are you going to hit all them? Are you going to hit all the platforms? Yeah. ITunes, so yeah, Google, yeah. My intention is, is to get primarily on iTunes, um, Spotify, um, Google stitcher, mm-hmm. um, all the major ones, um, as well as, you know, direct streaming from the website if people want that as well. Um, and, uh, beyond that, um, be on the lookout, um, late this year, early next year for the next revision of the Curious About Cannabis book. I know I'm shooting myself in the foot foot by saying that because now no one's going to buy the current edition. Um, Don't worry, Jason, I'll buy it. I'll (laughs) I'll get a copy. I'm also working on strategies to try to get the price down. Um, And that's that's just been a struggle. Can can they get your book on Amazon? Yeah, so the book is currently available on Amazon. Um, Just search for Curious About Cannabis, you'll find it. Um, Also on IG, you're at Curious About Cannabis, right? On Instagram, at Curious About Cannabis. So check that out. On Twitter, we're at About Cannabis. Um, and then on Facebook, you just have to search for us. I tried to make a nice tag on Facebook, but they shut me down because it had cannabis in the name. Yep. We're good at that. Um, so it has some crazy link. Um, but if you search for it, you'll find it. Um, just in total honesty, I'm not very active on Facebook. Um, it's primarily Instagram and Twitter, um, that you can connect with us and, and I'll encourage people to connect with us because, you know, I'm, 
doing these interviews right now for the podcast, and it's a unique opportunity for people to influence the way the show develops if they connect with us right now and tell us what you want to learn about, what you're interested in. I mean, I value that a lot to try to make sure that the content that I develop um, is going to actually address the real questions that people have. Um, and so as much feedback as people can give me about what they're curious about, um, that's going to go a long way to make the show better. Um, so I really encourage people to connect um, on there. And you can also find information about the book at curiousaboutcannabisbook.com. Someone uh, snatched the Curious About Cannabis domain from me. So um, unfortunately, you have to do Curious About Cannabis book to get there. Well, we um, all know about domain problems. Yeah, here. yeah. It's a, <laughs> it's a constant struggle. Um, other than that, I'm also doing some interesting work with a local nonprofit here that I want to make sure people know about. It's called the Oregon Cannabis Education and Resource Center. And we're kind of just now trying to get that organization off the ground. Um, so trying to figure out some events to connect with the community, do some education work. Um, but basically, it's a nonprofit that wants to help um, connect uh, the local community with reputable information about cannabis, help uh, connect businesses to each other to share expertise and information, all sorts of different levels of education there. My role is more in helping um, guide any programs that um, are involved with uh, cannabis science education, that sort of thing. Um, but we're starting to develop a, a nice little team there in that nonprofit. I'm excited to see what it's able to do um, in the upcoming um, years. And so you can find that at OCERC.org um, and just search for um, Oregon Cannabis Education Resource Center on most of the social media platforms and you'll find it. Um, we're working on a, uh, for this year, um, trying to see if we can pull off some sort of um, industry equipment swap um, kind of event to get people to come together and um, share information about cultivation, um, extraction, product manufacturing equipment, that sort of thing, um, have some knowledge sharing going on and have some like seminars going on as well at that event and just try to get people to find room where uh, they can work together, trade equipment, sell equipment, whatever, um, just as a starting point, um, just to help raise the money and you know, ultimately, we want to try to have a physical location where we have a library and and uh, a real resource center wow. um, here in the valley. Great. Um, so, like I said, it's just starting. But if anyone's interested in learning more about that, um, just look up OCERC.org. Uh, and if you want to give them money, please do. They need lots of it uh, <laughs> to get started. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, yeah, that's most of what I'm going on. And um, I'm doing a lot of um, consulting in space. So if anyone's interested in learning more about... Uh, quality management in their production operations or trying to understand um, some of the nuances around testing or um, GMP compliance, all that sort of stuff, um, reach out to me and um, I'm happy to try to find ways I can try to add value where I can mm -hmm. um, to help companies succeed and improve their quality and do better um, and achieve whatever goals they have and really try to prepare for whatever the future is in regards to the FDA. Um, and yeah, I've got a number of other little things going on that I'm hoping I get to share soon, some research projects and stuff that, um, that I'm excited about. Um, yeah. All right, everybody, Jason Wilson, you're killing it, brother. 
Yeah, thanks, fam. Um, All right. Yeah, stoked to talk to you again and yeah. look forward to interviewing always, you soon. Always love having you on. It'll be weird being in a different seat, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, but great having you on. We're going to keep dinging you. We've got to keep bringing the knowledge. Yeah. I, I know you're going to have a great podcast. Thank you. Um, I really I'm, appreciate that. I'm, yeah, I'm sure people are going to be crossed over really easily everybody you know all your episodes rock on ours so i'm sure oh thanks yeah. it's gonna come right over and, and work well for you but very proud of you thanks keep up the hustle glad you're in the game yeah i mean education is that's gonna be my focus now so yes so everybody knows where to find them got any questions just uh find them on ig and uh and you can reach out um and give some feedback even. Yeah, yeah, totally. I especially even about the book, you know, like I said, respectful, constructive criticism, but um, I, I very much want to solicit feedback and I want all of the educational work that I do to um, just improve over time. And the only way that can happen is for people to give me feedback. Um, so yes, please tell me what you think. Tell me what works, what doesn't work for you. And um, it's just going to help me do better. I'm not going to take it personally. So um, yeah. And I'm hoping by the end of the year too, I'm going to start doing workshops again. So I'll, um, follow the social media platforms and, um, I'm trying to get a newsletter going soon so I can keep people up to date on that. Several years ago, I was doing, um, some fairly intensive, like six week, eight week, uh, cannabis science workshops. And I really miss doing those. So I'm going to try to get those going again. I've had a lot of demand for that. So. Those were cool. Yeah. yeah. The stuff you were doing in the past. I don't know if that was exactly it, but a lot of the education that you've brought out in person like that with, um, seminars and stuff has been really, yeah. really good stuff. All right, brother. Cool. Thank you, awesome. sir. Jason yeah. Wilson. Thank you very much. Curious about cannabis.